Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Pengloss coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Okay, I'm still fussing around with stuff. <laughs> it's a difficult morning here. Um, so I'm just rearranging phone numbers, getting getting everything all set. Uh, Steve Chow Terrell is going to join us uh, today. Um, friend of uh, Diane Warner's and, and works with her on, on election integrity issues. And so we're going to hear that whole story about what's going on. It's fascinating. Um, I'm trying to get uh, our election integrity bill um, to Mike Lindell and some other folks so that uh, hopefully we can get uh, more, not only recognition, but help, you know, backing that. Um, our representative, Joel Rubman, has our election integrity bill. And so the question is, is he going to put it in the legislature? We hope so. He's got six bills. I mean, this is, this is the thing. Uh, our election integrity bill covers uh, so, you know, the, the really important stuff, getting rid of all voting machines, paper ballots only, paper ballots hand counted only, paper ballots hand counted at precincts only, paper ballots hand counted at precincts with, you know, a thousand or, or fewer people only. Yes, I use the word fewer. I know the difference between fewer and less. Sorry, <laughs> I'm feeling arrogant this morning. Um, and uh, videotapes, hand counting. Uh, and my addition to the bill which is, uh, Diane Warner wrote uh, most of it, but my addition is the, uh, the idea that all voter registrations uh, expire December 31st at midnight. And so that, uh, you know, for all those that are worried about, you know, cleaning up the voter rolls, well, they get cleaned up every year. You just start over. And, well, gee, Greg, why should you register every year? Well, you register your car every year. <laughs> you know, why shouldn't you register your vote every year? You know, voting's a lot, you know, you know, talking about one being a, a, a civil right and the other and a, a constitutional right and the other being transportation, <laughs> which the government shouldn't be, regu- you know, shouldn't be uh, regulating your driver's license anyway. I don't believe in driver's licenses. Um, certificate of competence, sure. If you, want to, if you want to prove that you can uh, uh, satisfy certain criteria that you, you're able to safely operate a vehicle, I don't have a problem with that. That's a competency test. That's not the same thing as a license. A license is permission. Where the government says, we're going to give you permission to do this because some judge said that driving isn't a right. Well, who are they to say that? I'm telling you driving is a right. I mean, trans, you know, travel is a right. You can't have a free society if you can't travel. So all those people that are saying, well, driving is a privilege because some judge said it was a privilege. Well, who do you think the judge works for? The government. The whole point of a Bill of Rights is to tell the government what they cannot take off the table. You know, if you leave it to government to define your rights, well, you'll, if, you leave it, if you leave it to government to choose the government, well, you know what's going to happen now. Brandon, you know, poverty, no energy, um, you, know, mono energy, you know, mono energy source, electricity only, which is metered and then uh, rationed. You know, you've got, rash, you've got government health care mandates. You know, not even health care. I just say government health mandates. So you know what the government's going to do if the government chooses the government. So the idea that government picks rights is absurd. No, people do. And people, through elected officials, yes, in, in, you know, enshrine them in constitutions to limit government. But you don't leave it to government to define what rights are. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. They never will. You don't leave it to the controllers to define you know, how, how the people will be controlled by government. It's just the opposite. We give the government certain permission to do certain things because our society would be worse off without it. But that's it. That's all they can do. You know, and any more than that, you know, walks down the road to tyranny, which we're running towards headlong, you know, in, in, in blind fashion. It's kind of crazy. So a lot going on today. So election, you know, it's either an election or a selection. Is it either an election or a selection? And uh, that's, that's where we are now. And I wrote that article um, the other day 
on uh, on the, the nation of government, where um, you know American participation in the electoral process is no longer necessary because the government's already picking the government. The government prints the ballots. The government mails out the ballots. People collect the ballots and turn them in for people so they don't have to vote. Well, of course, the government then picks the government. You know, I've got a large. Actually, that's kind of ironic. I have a train horn out my window, uh, especially these days, given the safety of uh, trains. I'm going to talk about that a lot, too. I've got uh, several articles I'm kind of putting together and perusing, deciding exactly how I want to present this to you. Anyway, so we'll talk elections first, then we'll get to the trains. So that's the problem. Uh, and hopefully, like I say, if we can get Mike Lindell on board. And I know folks that he knows, and hopefully the folks that I know who know Mike Lindell will talk to Mike Lindell, and he'll find out about us, and then he'll come on the show, and we can talk election integrity, vaccine product liability, um, big tech, ending the big tech censorship, and various other rights and things like that. So let me announce right now, we've got Jeff Childers, uh, attorney. He's going to be at the Atlanta conference, the COVID litigation conference, but he'll be with us next, is it Wednesday or Tuesday? Let me, my calendar, my calendar knows everything. Wrong page. Wednesday, Wednesday, 8 a.m., right before Diane and, uh, comes on with the election integrity report. Something tells me she's going to call in early. I, I just, I don't know. Call me, call me psychic, <laughs> but I think she's going to call in early. So Jeff Childers is on next week, uh, next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Central Time. And then Diane at 9 a.m. And Wendy's off today, too. So, so Bill's off for a while. Wendy's off today. And so it's just me. So it's me in the first hour. So for the second hour, I have a, uh, another WEBY classic presentation. I've got a bunch of these. I did a lot of really cool shows in the year and four months that I was there. And so I have many to draw on. This one's with, uh, it was with the, four, the FDLE, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And so uh, the state police, the good guys, right? And so we, we actually had a really good chat. And so I'll be playing that. That was from uh, June 12th of 2017. So let me see, March, April, May, June. I've been in radio three months. <laughs> you want to make that interview. Some of those are really good. I'm surprised, you know, listening back. Uh, man, I, I still talk faster. I'm trying to slow down. And I think I'm getting there. You know, trying not to go, uh, mm, 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 you know, and make uh, other verbal, you know, delaying tactics uh, while, I'm, while I'm thinking of something to say, you know, trying to cut that back, too. But it's, it's a process. You know, changing your speech pattern is not easy. Try it sometime. You know, record yourself and then try and change something and record yourself, you know, six months later and see if there's a difference. So this is we're talking now, what, six years later? Yeah. So uh, coming up, uh, actually, March 1st will be my, my sixth anniversary in radio with a little... Um, you know, involuntary interlude between WEBY and Block Talk Radio. Uh, that was not of my choosing, but that's how it goes. Anyway, it was a great station. I loved working there. I've been there today. But it, it was bought and changed as a sports station now, so that's too bad. All right, so things that are happening in the news. Uh, the first thing uh, that I noticed and heard right before I came on the air is that Brandon has announced that uh, uh, Kevin McDeepstate, as we all know as Kevin McCarthy, but Kevin McDeepstate, uh, Brandon labeled him a decent guy. He made some speech somewhere. He said, Brandon, he, he said, yeah, Kevin McCarthy, he's a decent guy, which means he sold us out. It's over. <laughs> the, the debt ceiling is blown. You know, if, uh, if uh, Brandon, who hates, you know, hates America first people, who hates anybody that believes in patriotism, you know, God, country, family, you know, the usual stuff, right? Things we all uh, hold sacred here. Anybody that believes in that can't believe in, uh, you know, Chinese uh, Marxism, communism, and therefore Brandon is not going to like you. So the fact that Brandon said that McCarthy is a decent guy, we're done. Yeah, the, the house has already been sold out. So let's uh, let's see what kind of disgusting measure they come up with to uh, raise the debt ceiling. Now, now, now here's something that, that nobody seems to be commenting on in the news. 
raising the debt ceiling uh, is an oxymoron. Because if it's a debt ceiling, that's as high as you can go. So the idea of raising something that's already as high as you can go means it's not a debt ceiling. And I said it could be a debt floor, or I've said it's, it's actually a debt elevator uh, going in one direction, up. <laughs> you know, it's the only elevator that keeps going up. So it's, it's really the debt elevator. So that's, that's my first concern. What else we got going now? Uh, we've got the Atlanta conference. We've got, um, uh, or just, I published the first of a series of, of articles. The reason is it's a 14,000 word article, the main one, on a completely new model for education. So I'll get to that a little bit later. And let's, we'll, let's, let's talk about trains first, then we'll get to Atlanta, then we'll get to uh, my new model for, for education. For, I, I wrote legislation. I really should have said education. Did I say legislation? It's a new model for education. So let me write it properly. Education. Here I am reaching around my microphone uh, to write again. Let me save that before I put legislation. So it's a completely new model for education. And I, it, was a, it was fascinating to write. And actually, I wrote it in 2016. And I wrote a lot of articles in 2016 because it's right before I had open heart surgery. So I call those my just-in-case articles. <laughs> I don't know what else. You know, I mean, I actually thought that way, too. I said, well, just in case. You know, I mean, I think I'll be fine. But just in case, you know, I, I wanted to write down everything I was thinking at the time. So just in case, there'd be something, uh, something there. But as everything turned out, I'm fine. Heart's doing great. I'm exercising, losing weight in life. It's wonderful. All right, so trains. I have long noticed that our rail system is decrepit, in disrepair. Now, I love trains. I've taken trains. I've taken trains all over the United States. I've been around the entire uh, outside perimeter on Amtrak. I've been through the middle a little bit. But for the most part, I've been all around the outside, you know, all around the West Coast, across the top of the country, down the East Coast, across the bottom of the country. You know, so I've seen all the perimeter states by train and loved it, you know, taking a couple of other short trips and things like that. But for the most part, that was my big trip. It took about two and a half months uh, all around the United States, stopping in various places, you know, sometimes for a week, sometimes for three weeks. You know, it just uh, there were it was it was a fabulous trip. And so I know all about U.S. trains. I do. You know, I, I love trains. Trains on the West Coast are better because they're double decked because the East Coast trains, the tunnels are too low. So rather than blow out the tunnels. And use the double deck trains, which are far superior. They use the single deck trains, which are kind of boring. You know, those are the like the commute trains in the the uh, the Boston Washington corridor. You know, the electric trains that go 100 miles an hour, the ones that, that Brandon's been riding all the time. Yeah, those are commuter trains. Those aren't real trains. <laughs> commuter trains, unless you're sleeping over, unless you do an overnight, it's not a real train, right? So you want to take a real train, and and trains are beautiful. They go through some of the most spectacular areas of the country. Trains are great, but the rail system is old, and it's not being fixed because you know. Pete Buttigieg's only uh, job qualification is that he married a dude, okay? Marrying a dude is not a qualification to run the transportation um, sector of the entire U.S. economy. I'm sorry, it's just not, okay? You know, but that, what do you expect from the idiocracy? You know, the main job requirement is that, uh, that you have to be, you know, even dumber than, than Brandon, who, to be fair, has had two brain aneurysms. He's not fully there. That's not his fault. What is his fault is that he sat in a stolen White House, and he, he at least is smart enough to know that. You know, otherwise he wouldn't be there. He knows he never did well in an election. He knows, you know, there's no way he could beat Donald Trump in a fair election. I mean, he's not that stupid, right? But he also wants the power, and he's a compulsive liar, pathological liar. He's pathological in general, so he doesn't care. So it's easy to take a pathological liar, put him in the White House, and, and have them say that they're president. Or he, even, or he doesn't know. He actually believes he's president, which is even worse, in which case he's further gone than we thought. And, uh, you know, he should know that he could never have beaten Donald Trump in a fair election, especially when Donald Trump had $1.85 gasoline, 
had uh, plenty of energy, had jobs rolling in like crazy, 1% inflation, uh, and all the things that uh, made America great again. You know, of course, the last time America was really great was under Calvin Coolidge. That was the Roaring Twenties. Reagan was good. Reagan made America good again. Donald Trump made America great again. See, that's the difference between the two. And all you, all you Ronald Reagan absolute lovers, you know, take a look at the record. You know, he signed a lot of really bad budgets. He talked a good game, but he didn't do the things that Donald Trump did. You know, did the embassy get to Jerusalem? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, did uh, yeah, he had tax cuts and he, most of what he did, he did his first hundred days, the tax cuts and the regulation cuts, and then just kind of proceeded to backtrack. And of course, he had uh, George Bush, the elder, you know, the the elder globalist, and then we had the George Bush, the younger globalist. Either way, you've got two globalists in a in a ruling family. You know, the Clintons, the Bushes. And a few other families, you know, you know, the Gates, you know, the Bloombergs kind of run things in the country, or at least they think they do. All right. So trains, what's the problem with trains? Well, the problem with trains is that if you go on the European train, those are trains are fabulous. And did Mussolini make the trains run on time? I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. All I know is that European trains do run on time. The German trains and the Swiss trains, you can set your watch by, as they say. Those trains, they don't care. If you're not on board, the second the train's supposed to leave is pulling out of the station. British trains are a little lax. More lax, you know, they'll give you like a minute, maybe. <laughs> Italian trains, I don't know. It's Italy, who cares, right? Greek trains, you don't even know if they're going to leave. <laughs> you know, so trains around, the, around Europe are fascinating. I mean, I want to take the Orient Express someday, you know, from, uh, I forget where it goes. I think it's Paris to, to Istanbul. You know, the, Orient, you know the, the train of legends, and I love legendary trains because they're beautiful. You know, you get your dining cars, your parlor cars, you know, you meet people from all over the world. You sit there and you talk, and it's really a great time. The difference between European trains and American trains that I have seen is that at, when I was there in the 80s, the European trains were converting to concrete rails, so, uh, um, or ties, excuse me, concrete ties. So a track is made up of, of a few components. You've got the rails, the actual metal, the track that the, the, the wheels of the train ride on. You've got the, the fasteners that fasten to the rails and fasten to the ties, which are the wooden uh, in the rail bed, and you've got the gravel and all that kind of stuff. Now, the first thing you notice the difference between European trains and American trains is that there are two holes for spikes. And the spike is that big nail, eight-inch nail thing that you slam into the, uh, the, the fastener, which holds the rail to the fastener, the fastener to the tie. And it's supposed to prevent, you know, shaking back and forth and things like that. So the railroad track is held to the fastener. The fastener is also held to the tie. And the spikes kind of hold all that together. Well, American trains, in order to save money, only have one spike. Uh, when there should be two. European trains have two spikes, okay? So Europeans actually spend more money on spikes. Now, the reason we're having so many derailments here, I believe, is the fact that we only have half the spikes in the train tracks. And if you think I'm wrong, go take a look at your train track. Oh, sometimes you'll see a couple, maybe on crossings, you'll, you'll see maybe two spikes, for, I don't know, for visibility or what. But you look at the vast majority of train tracks, you will see one spike, and there should be two holding that rail to that fastener and that fastener to that wooden tie. So the first thing we should do is get rid of the wooden ties, you know, but uh, the second thing we should do is and make them all concrete because they're stronger and they last longer and they're more rigid. And the second thing we should do is use, use the full amount of spikes. You got space for two spikes, but there's only one there. They did that to save money. See, no one talks about this stuff. I learned this just by observing it. And I got a few articles on this, you know, kind of confirming uh, that, uh, you know, the tra- our trains are in terrible shape. But uh, that's okay because we got a, we got a, you know, Buttigieg who married a dude. And that means, you know, he's qualified to fix the trains. And talk about being woke and bring more equality and equity, you know, to our government. Well, I don't want equality or equity. I want, I want safety. If you're, in a, if you're in a safety position, your job is to do safety. So the first thing to ask, the first thing that our, our members of Congress had asked, you know, my own congressman, Matt Gates, if you ever call the show, I tell him, 
<laughs> first thing you want to do is find out where we only have half the, the spikes in our railroad tracks. That's the first thing to find out. Second thing to find out is why are we still using wood when the rest of the world is going to concrete? You know, and the third thing is why do we have, you know, completely unqualified people uh, in the Department of Transportation? We need to put people who actually have worked in railroads, airlines, shipping. You know, in fact, I'd, I'd, have, uh, I'd have one Secretary of Transportation, but I'd have an advisory board of three people, one from aviation, one from railroads, and one from ships. <laughs> you know, that's how I do it. But I'm not president, you know, but uh, hopefully we'll connect with the Trump campaign and we can work on that. But that's how you do it. So, so you really, oh, you're another train going. This is funny. The second train horn. This is kind of interesting. We have train tracks uh, south of where I'm broadcasting from. And they come through about five in the morning. They blast the horns. So, you know, there are things to worry about, too. The, in fact, I got an article, which I'll, I'll get to, I guess. Well, we'll see. I mean, I can pretty much summarize it up. The two basic problems are maintenance of the tracks and, uh, and, and training and, uh, you know, management of the system. And so maintenance is a big problem and uh, training and everything else, too. And, you know, and what was it? They, they just had a they – they just negotiated. It's interesting. They just negotiated uh, a big deal with the government. Remember the train strike over Christmas? And they were saying that, uh, that the train companies wanted the workers to work even when they're sick. They didn't want sick days. Well, if somebody works when they're sick, what can happen? Oh, I don't know. The train can derail. You know, untold thousands of gallons of, of, of chemical, like, I don't know, vinyl chloride maybe, perchance. You know, might uh, might escape, and uh, and what's the government solution? We'll burn them. It's like an enormous burn pit. <laughs> for those of you who know what uh, what the veterans went through, when the you know in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know for the trash they just burned it. Well, that was brilliant. The same people that brought you, well, we can't, uh, you know, it's like the California Air Resources Board that won't allow you to have a fire in your fireplace because it's too much particulate matter. That same government, you know, is now burning violent chloride and, and poisoning thousands of acres and, and who knows how many thousands of people this is going to be a cancer center so you, unfortunately i mean i wish that if you if you could and you're in that area leave just leave you know go go somewhere else for a while uh move <laughs> because uh, i don't want that to turn into a cancer cluster you know one years five years ten years from now who knows how long but um do you remember uh, when we used to have what they called super fun sites so a super fun site love canal kind of started this off love canal was in buffalo and they had all kinds of pollutants in the soil. Uh, I think it might have been some train was involved in it as well. Anyway, so the chemicals were in the soil. And Superfund was they had to spend massive amounts of money to clean it up. And people moved and they were, you know, paid for their houses and things like that. And so this is already a Superfund site. So if we actually had a president, if we actually had administration, and if we had a Congress that wasn't more worried about, you know, changing the entire federal government uh, over to, to what looks like, you know, black women from uh, Michelle Obama, you know, it's like every appointee, just about. Well, it, it sort of looks that way. It's kind of funny, actually. I joke about that, too, that uh, Michelle Obama wants to, have, you know, staff the entire federal government uh, with black women, which is, uh, I guess, a lofty ambition, but doesn't mean anybody, you know, <laughs> you can't be qualified, you, you know, if you're going to, if that's, a, that's your appointment schedule, okay? Or, and you know, the woke agenda, you know, so it's, it's you get to be in the, in the brand and insurrection. You get to be in the illegal government, depending on who you are, who you marry, what you look like, you know, other things like that. But it has, but qualifications are completely irrelevant. And it's evidenced by the fact that our airliners are almost crashing into each other. Our trains are derailing. God knows what's happening with the ships. You know, the, the supply lines are gone. The energy is gone. Um, pollution is in horrible shape. And their solution to vinyl chloride is to burn it and make it a huge gas explosion and, and pollute and contaminate, you know, thousands of acres, kill thousands of animals, probably cause a cancer cluster, and then say that the drinking water is safe. I mean, these people are irrational because it's political expediency. It's, it's government thinking. 
You know, they wish that everybody were a woke person. They wish that, and they try to make it so. They wish that we had uh, no carbon dioxide. Well, great. The plants die, we die. That's, that's not a flaw. That's not a, that's stupid. <laughs> it's incredibly stupid, but yet that's their philosophy, right? So what do we do? You know, it's, uh, the trans situation is pretty simple. The first thing you do is put the other half of the spikes in the damn tracks. Then you start replacing them with concrete. You know, but the very first thing, the cheapest, best thing we could do with our railroads right now, today, is to order a couple of million spikes and put the spikes in the other half of the track, okay? But they don't because they save money. Now, if you've ever watched a rail line go by, ever seen the track bouncing up and down? I have several times. You look at a railroad train. You look at a freight train especially. Just watch it go. But watch the wheels, okay, and watch the track. And watch the times when the track go, you know, bows and bends. And I've actually reported this to rail companies. I said, you know, that uh, on this section of track at this intersection, you know, your train bobs up and down. And they never get back to me. They don't care. You know, so, but I've, I've called. I've actually called. So, hey, your, your track's bobbing. You know, it doesn't look secure to me. And you watch the spikes kind of rising up and down and all this other stuff. Now, trains, uh, you know, have untold thousands or probably hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands. I don't know how much. they got Tons of weight. And they're riding all that weight on two little thin strips of metal that are about, what, two inches wide? Maybe three, <laughs> if that. You know? and, and these trains are going 60, 80, you know, 100 miles an hour. Well, the freighters aren't going that fast. Let's say they're going, let's, let's put them at the national speed limit, you know, 65 or whatever it is, maybe 70. So you've got trains going 70 miles an hour, hundreds of thousands of tons of freight on a rail that's bouncing up and down that only has half the spikes where the metal's bending and flexing constantly – and then they wonder why they have derailments. I'll tell you why they have derailments. You know, they don't have the spikes. The track isn't nailed down. <laughs> you know, it's bouncing back and forth, and you're putting too much weight on it. And they're doing it to save money because, well, we can't spend money on infrastructure. We've got to spend money on wokeness. You know, we've got to get that carbon dioxide out of the environment so the plants can't breathe. You know, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the, the, the green starvation program is what it is. It's not green energy. It's green starvation. All right, let me get some articles here and tell you what's, uh, what's happening, and then we'll uh, play a little bit of stuff. Do have some fun. And, of course, if you want to talk to me, 215-383-3832. If you want to go in live chat, feel free. I've got the live chat open anywhere in the world. That is available if you happen to be awake. And uh, you can also do the Skype line, uh, which I'm probably not checking as much as I could simply because nobody's called it for a while. So if they did, they'd be on the air. But we do have a Skype line directly to the show. And so you call, you know, one day, and then I okay your account. And then you can call the next day, and there you are. I'll check it after the show today. All right, first, uh, first up, so Steve Kirsch you know, uh, who I am in contact with and uh, who I hope to get on the show, actually, um, who uh, contacted me over, because I wrote a comment on one of his, his newsletter columns about our legislation, our, our vaccine product liability legislation and our big tech censorship elimination bill. And, and so hopefully Steve and I will connect and uh, I'd love to have him on the show. And that'd be fabulous. Steve has, a, has an amazing following um, and he does a bunch of stuff. You know, he's the one that's talking about all the, he reports the vaccine injuries, the vaccine deaths. And he was one of the early people like Stu Peters, like some other folks, you know, that noticed everybody was dying suddenly. Well, gee, how about that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you, did you see the recent interview with uh, Darnell? Was it Darnell? Damar. Damar Hamlet. You know, he was on with uh, some reporter. And the reporter asked him, you know, what do you think caused your injury? What happened? Well, I, I can't really talk about that. So it's the first interview I've seen in a while where the only response was, I can't talk about that. So what was the point of the interview? Anyway, that's another story. So there's a conference coming up. Conference is March 25th and 26th in Atlanta, Georgia. It's got all the usual faces and suspects and all kinds of people that are going to be mostly lawyers. And it's called the COVID 
Litigation Conference 2023, March 25th and 26th, so next month. This month, on February 22nd, one of the speakers, Jeff Childers, who does Coffee and COVID, uh, his newsletter, is going to be on the show. And we'll be talking about vaccine product liability bills, you know, big tech censorship bills. And also I sent him uh, my uh, Australian Bill of Individual Rights that I wrote with Jen Clark in Australia that concerns mind-body autonomy, you know, your choice of, of energy systems, your choice of living situations, your choice of, of all kinds of stuff. But uh, fully informed consent, mandated, absolutely. And freedom from things like, uh, you know, weird technologies like 5G and things like that, if that's what you so choose. And so it's a, it's a fascinating bill. And it, it would update our Bill of Rights. Now, I wouldn't put all of them in our Bill of Rights, but I think some of them are absolutely essential. And so uh, we'll go over that sometime. We'll, I'll do that with Jeff. So, and then I want to talk about what he wants to talk about. And I want to talk about this conference. So here's the conference. It's the COVID Litigation Conference, March 2023, March 25th, 26th, from the Mendenhall Law Group. So here's what Steve Kerr says in his newsletter, dated six hours ago. <laughs> so he just wrote this, right? It says, in March, the VSRF, VSRF, uh, we'll find out what that is in a bit. I'm not sure. It's down here somewhere. VSRF is partnering with the Mendenhall Law Group to host COVID Litigation Conference 2023. Uh, and then it says, over the next 10 years, COVID lawsuits are expected to see huge growth and unfortunate development that reflects the need to bring justice in the courts for hundreds of thousands of people negatively impacted uh, by harmful COVID-19 policies. Well, mandates as well. Your policies are mandates. And I could save these people a whole bunch of time. If you pass, if if if, they, if the national trial lawyers would get behind our bill on vaccine product liability, besides the fact that you'd be doing the right thing, going after big pharma, you'd make billions of dollars. I don't know what the problem is. I really don't. I've tried talking to them. They don't answer my phone. Well, they answer, but they don't get back to me. I've emailed. I've called. I'm going to talk to Jeff Childers about this. National trial lawyers, why aren't you sponsoring vaccine product liability and big tech liability? Billions of dollars in that too, <laughs> you know. Yeah, President Trump might be your first client, <laughs> you know. Saying, "Go ahead, sue their asses." That's what my bills do. So that you don't create a government agency, you don't create, uh, you don't spend billions of dollars, you don't hire a bunch of people, you don't have to. You just open up these companies to liability, and we already have the courts. We've already got the system in place, you know. So unfortunately, the victims, and one of those victims is me. You know. So uh, guess what? <laughs> I want in on this. You know, I want to, I'm, I'm part of the Children's Health Defense lawsuit, uh, and so I'll be talking about that too, uh, so we shall see. Like I see one of the speakers is Mary Holland Esquire, General Counsel for Children's Health Defense, and so she's going to be there. So I want, I want to see if I can get her on the show too. We've got who others? Jeff Childers, uh, people I don't recognize, Bobby Ann Flower Cox, who's a Cox lawyer, which makes sense, probably the family. Warner Mendenhall, he looks very distinguished. He's probably the, 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 the papa bear of the group. Trisha Lindsay and Robert Barnes, all Esquires. Uh, Trisha Lindsay from Trisha Lindsay Law, uh, Robert Barnes from Barnes Law. So I guess they're getting the partners, they're getting the, the big folks you know, in these things here. And Jeff Childers is, of course, of Childers Law. So the only person representing a different group other than a law firm is, is Mary Holland, who's from Children's Self Defense. All right, so if I can read some more of this. Uh, da, da, da. Uh, there is, did I read that? I forgot where I was exactly. All right, this is the demand is overwhelming and the CLC, uh, CLC 23, that's the... Uh, uh, conference, COVID litigation conference, 
is the first conference launched to help educate attorneys on best practices in litigating these types of cases. We will feature informative panels on cutting-edge COVID-related legal issues and will provide an excellent opportunity for lawyers interested in this burgeoning field to network and support each other moving forward. CLE has also been requested. Now, of course, the big question is, how come I haven't been invited? I mean, I'm serious about this. You know, who's writing? Who has the best bill for COVID liability restoration in the country? We do. <laughs> Action Radio. In fact, as far as I know, we're the only, you know, institution, shall I say, we are the only entity that has a viable COVID liability restoration act ready to go, ready to be voted on right now in the hands of many members of Congress, okay, senators and representatives, when I say Congress, I mean both, all right, in the hands of Jeff Childers, you know, who's going to be on the show next week. It's there. It, the trial lawyers have it. I've sent it to him enough times. You know, Matt Gates has it. I've sent it to him enough times. Where are these people? You know, what are they thinking? I, I don't know. What, you know, and if you haven't sent in those two bills to your member of Congress and senators, we need you to do that. Send it to every member of media you know. I was on with Emerald Robinson a few months ago, uh, on, which is part of Frank's speech, part of you know, Lindell TV, talking about that very bill, vaccine product liability. Nobody got back to me on it. I mean, I, I should be on there every week, actually, talking about one of our bills or, or you know, one of the current bills. But that's what we need. We need you to get out there and share this stuff. Otherwise, it's not going to get shared. You know, it's not going to get out there in general public. This stuff has to get in the national debate before this conference. So I'm going to talk to him and say, hey, can I go? <laughs> can, I'll talk to Jeff next week. Hey, Jeff, can you get me an invite? <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll lead a panel that they've never seen before. You know, citizen legislation. Because basically we created the system here. We created the system of citizen legislature that anybody can use, and some have actually. Um, some have kind of got off on their own citizen legislation. That's another story. Um, but uh, it's here. It's right here, right now. It's all in place. The bills are ready to go. All they have to do is get them to the member of Congress and say, you know, all you have to same thing with you. Send the copy the link, send it in, say, I want vaccine liability on big pharma. That's it. Easy peasy. Next paragraph. The demand is overwhelming. And CLC twenty twenty three is the first conference launched to help educate attorneys. Oh, I already read that. Our speaker list continues to expand and includes Mary Holland, Chief Counsel of Children's Health. Okay, I read those people too. All right. So let's let's just skip down here. Oh, Pierre Corey, MD, co-founder and chief medical officer of the FLCCC. Uh, that's, that's, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'll have to look at Ryan Cole's going to be there. Uh, a Mayo-trained, board-certified anatomic clinical pathologist, so hold the Mayo, sorry, will also be speaking as medical experts. Panelists joined, will be joined by plaintiffs in current COVID lawsuits, that would be me, to lead nine panels covering the following areas of litigation, employer mandates, education mandates, medical license, civil rights, fraud, censorship, vaccine injury, hospital negligence, and mass. You know, that's like personal injury, you know, or, or a product liability. That's what tort is. So those are the things. Well, actually, read it down. Let's see if I get a little better description of torts. Mass torts include COVID vaccine injury and hospital misuse of remdesivir. Hey, folks, I got the bill. I wrote the bill. You know, I feel like the little kid in the back of the classroom that never gets recognized. I'm here. You know, my hand's not high enough. I'm here. You know, we've done it. We've done your work for you. We're all set to go. Just, you know, just get the bill into Congress. I mean, I mean what better than the national trial lawyers to lobby this bill? It's a natural for them. I don't know what the problem is. You know, you know what it is? They just, they don't see us as big enough. That's, that's the thing. And why aren't we big enough? Well, because we're being censored by big tech. The very people that I wrote a bill to fix, you know. So it's like the catch-22. 
I can't get known, so I can't get the bill to fix big tech out there, so big tech keeps censoring us. And the reason they can keep censoring us is because the cure for their censorship is, is with us, who they keep censoring. <laughs> so until we can break the censorship and, uh, and get the bill out there so everybody can recognize it uh, and take away their power to censor, this is where we are. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. All right. Take a quick break here. Let's come back with uh, some other things for you. It is, it is, it is, it is. move some things around here. Rearrange my desk. I kind of started while I was thinking this morning still. Don't do that. You know, it says, you know, 30 seconds to showtime. I'm like, oh, really? Good thing I have an announcement. Day after Valentine's Day. Hope you had a great Valentine's Day. Hope you had uh, wonderful fun, you know, with your spouse, partner, uh, relationship. If you didn't have one, maybe you started one. Who knows? <laughs> we can talk about that, too. So um, time is now oh, 7.32. This is normally when Bill Fecky be ending up saying he has to go make his dollar for the day. Billy should earn more. So Bill's going to come back. Maybe we'll see. He's got stuff to do. Uh, Wendy should be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, you got me. Anyway, I'll play you some stuff, and then I'll be back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. 
GraceCare saves you both time and money. They provide medical efficacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Gracecare, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Okay, we're back. So I have... uh a series of articles that I've written uh, for the, the intellectual conservative. And again, that website got hacked but, and the articles I wrote were years ago. And so I'm presenting them again on Substack because uh, they're my articles <laughs> and uh, I can, <laughs> so I'm going to. Um, this one in particular, I'm particularly proud of. And it's, uh, it's about, again, it was a 14,000 word essay. It's a really big study on education and a completely new model. And so I'll, I'll give you the first part. I may not, I may read the, the other parts. I may not, it just depends. I'm going to release one part per day over however many days it takes and however many parts it takes to get this out there. Some, they're going to be about, what, 1,500 word, maybe. Let me see how many, how many of this is. There's a lot of words. <laughs> a lot of words. Uh, does it give it? Okay, so it doesn't give it on this one anymore. Uh, but when you, when, you write, if, when you write a Substack article, it gives you your word count and approximate read time and things like that. Of course, I'm on the air and I make comments, so my read time is like five times longer <laughs> than it says you know, on, on the thing. So I wanted to come up and again, this was, this was right before open heart surgery to repair a mitral valve, uh, which went really well. But at the time, you know, I never had a major surgery. I mean, not, not like this. And I didn't know, <laughs> you know, you know, we all have these doubts and fears and things like that. So whereas most people worry, I don't tend to worry. I tend to get busy and do stuff. You know, it's like when I get angry, I, I get creative. You know, the, when the lockdown happened, that's when I made all those sarcastic pieces like the, the new normal church and grocery store, which was when uh, DeSantis had the Safer at Home program and everything was locked down. You know, so he, he did it wrong at first. He fixed it, fortunately. But initially, his, his response to COVID was terrible. It was, it was all the wrong stuff. The only person who got it right at first was Christy Noem uh, of South Dakota. She never locked down. She never did any of that kind of nonsense. Of course, people will say, well, it's a wide open state. You know, people are far away. They, they already had six feet of distance. You know, give me a break. You know, they, they all, everybody wanted her to, to comply to, uh, you know, you know, Dr. Fascist was talking to her because he made that, uh, that announcement in one of the press conferences. See, I remember the little things, right? And one of these days, one, one day during one of his many press conferences where he basically threw Trump aside, short little man, hard little man, Dr. Fascist said, yeah, I talk to governors all the time. You know, so he does. He talks to governors all the time. Right? That's what he said. Well, why would he talk to governors all the time? 
If he wasn't coordinating lockdown efforts, why would he talk to, there'd be no need for him to talk to governors. In fact, he shouldn't be talking to governors at all. President Trump should have been talking to governors, but he should not. So when you have your bureaucrats coordinating things with governors, then the first thing you do is you fire them. <laughs> you know, you fire the bureaucrats and then you call the governors and say, what did he tell you? You know, and if they don't say anything, they say, fine. Okay, well, we'll talk to you, you know, in, in four years. <laughs> Go away. Uh, anyway, so education is huge. Um, Jonathan mostly commented on this, you know, and it, we'll be talking education. He used to work in the Department of Education. So I'm going to present you something that is so different than anything you have ever heard, ever, in terms of a model for education. Uh, I'm going to document it. I've even got a different logo on it. So if you want to go to, if you want to get this article, you go to gregpenglis.substack.com, and that's G-R-E-G-P-E-N-G-L-I-S, gregpenglis.substack.com. And that's also where you'll find my other article, The Nation of Government. And so I, I like conceptualizing. I'd like to, you know, uh, write in philosophy, in philosophical terms. I like to present concepts uh, and from that come up with solutions and solutions to legislation. That's how my brain works. All right. So originally, so way back, this is, this is one of my pre, <laughs> pre-open heart surgery articles, a completely new model for education, part one. Our current system, school system, I believe, wastes about 95% of the time students spend in school which means we have 95% unused potential. To use that, we have to do something radically different. To do that, we have to think radically differently. What if you forget everything you knew about education and were free to come up with a completely different system? What if there were no restrictions to your imagination about how we would educate children, prepare them to reach their greatest potential, live their wildest dreams, be the happiest they could, and in that happiness, accomplish and contribute the maximum possible for themselves, their families, their communities, and ultimately to the overall success of the whole country. What kind of an educational system would you come up with? These are the questions, uh, these are the questions I shall try to answer. Usually when you hear about education reform, it involves money, class size, maybe some changes in programs or textbooks, but the fundamental way we instruct in the classroom in a school building or series of buildings with one teacher at first and then specialized teachers, a principal, various administrators, and a bureaucracy all the way up to the Department of Education really isn't challenged to justify itself. There's only some tinkering around the edges while the fundamental system stays in place. There is no challenge to the funding where the teachers unions should exist or what exactly getting an education means. I want to approach this as if no such system like we have now exists at all. There are no teachers or school buildings or administrators, teachers unions, education funding or cost or state and federal education departments. That way we won't be constrained by any of those things and we are free to create something completely new and different to keep what we decide to keep from what currently exists before we can do that. We, uh, I'll say, there we go. Before we can do that and answer these questions, let's see how we got here. In ancient times, only specific people were educated. Writing started some 350 uh, BC, uh, excuse me, 3500 BC, there we go, in Egypt, but only those who would become scribes needed to know how to write. That was about 1% of the population. Scribes usually worked in temples, in service of Pharaoh, and as military officers. In Mesopotamia, only scribes and religious officials were schooled. Boys learned their father's trade, and girls learned home skills. However, in Babylon around 2000 BC, language and writing were standardized, and both boys and girls were educated, and most towns had libraries. In India, 
starting around 1500 BC, education was freely available. It consisted of learning the Veda, that's V-E-D-A, which were ancient Sanskrit texts. However, once the caste system developed, education became more restricted to the higher levels of society. In China, it was Confucius who gave the world an education based on philosophy and ethics, which unfortunately didn't survive the early 20th century. Ancient Greece, around 400 BC, had independent city-states, and education was independent as well. Athens, for example, required two years of military training for boys, and after that, schooling was up to the parents. People were free to open their own schools and decide what they would teach. Parents were free to send their kids to the school that taught what they wanted their kids to learn. Kids went as far as their parents could afford, and girls received far less schooling than boys. The basics of school were athletics, literacy, music, and art. This is where the elite's separation started, as most boys would learn trades, while the wealthier boys went on to study rhetoric, mathematics, politics, logic, history, science, natural history, painting, sculpture, and more. Since there was no government involvement, nor taxable funds available, education was entirely funded by parents, the wealthiest of which went on to the best universities and became leaders of society. This is where Socrates, the philosopher, taught in small groups with debate, inquiry, questions, and dialogue, and is probably the origin of genuine critical thinking. In contrast to Athens, uh, and like uh, city-states, and like city-states was Sparta. Education was strictly military and designed to create warriors and a warrior army. Boys were taken away at seven years and learned obedience, discipline, courage, and striving for physical perfection. <laughs> Most of Sparta was illiterate. <laughs> so there's your contrast between Athens and Sparta. Uh, so those of you wondering where I got this, there's a ton of sources that I have at the end. I'll, I'll probably read them. But uh, the first thing I did when I wrote this article was look at the ancient education systems to see how we got here. And if you have questions on the dates and things like that, and I didn't get it exactly right, feel free to tell me. But basically, I, I think I've got the concepts down, and that's really what counts. All right, back to the article. About the same time, 400 BC, the Roman Republic was engaging all children in education for socialization. The literacy rate was still about 1% to 2%. <laughs> education had to be paid privately, and both boys and girls were educated, but it could be separately. What Rome did was give us divisions of school levels or tiers, which today are known as elementary, middle, high school, and college. The difference was that Rome allowed for students to progress up the levels based on ability rather than today where advancement up the grades is based on age. Again, higher education was for the rich elites and the rest of the population were schooled in trades. In Europe during the Middle Ages, education wasn't held by and for the elites. It was maintained and restricted through the church. Schools were in monasteries and universities were run by the church. Students studied law, medicine, art, and theology. University students identified not by the school so much as by the master that taught them, as these masters devote a lifetime to their specialties. Gradually, from the time of Charlemagne, Catholic schools opened up to the congregations. The university system was known as scholastic, which is a method of learning which seeks to reconcile Christian theology and tradition with ancient Greek and Roman theology through reasoning and debate which is very much like Socrates and like what is now thought to be critical thinking. And just as a side note, the way that I conduct this show or try to is, is the Socratic method. In other words, dialogue, uh, debate, you know, back and forth conversation, questions, answers, more questions, more answers, more questions, more questions. 
The questions are more important than the answers. You can't get the right answer unless you have to ask the right question. So the, the, the most critical thinking skill, I believe, is, is to learn how to ask the right questions. It's from those questions and from the debate that you can come up with answers. If you start with the answer, you know, climate change is killing people, okay, then there's no questions to ask because you've already, you've already ended your, your discussion. My first discussion it would be how. How is climate change working? Well, it works off carbon dioxide. Well, how much carbon dioxide is there? Well, it's 0.4%. That's, that's less than half a percent. Really? So you're telling me something that's less than half a percent can block out heat? How? Well, I don't know. I was just told, you know, my, my, my grant says that I have to say that, you know, climate change is real and killing people. Really? Well, that's kind of strange. So basically, you're, you have no ethics. Well, no, I do have ethics. I, I you know, show up to work and do that. No, you don't. <laughs> you just lied. You're, you're, study, you're starting your study with a conclusion. You can't do a study from a conclusion. See, see how this works? This is the logic and reason filter. This is what I use all the time. So anything that comes to the show goes to the logic and reason filter. Does it make sense? Is it possible? How is it possible? Let's find out. That's the Socratic method. That's what Socrates would do in the garden. You know, he would challenge students, even with students he agreed with. You know, and students would, would challenge him, even if they agreed. I mean, that's the whole point. The real debate, the real debate is the one you have with the person you completely agree with and still challenge them. That's where it gets interesting. All right, back to my article. The golden age of Islam had and lost sometime in the 1200s one of the greatest and most advanced civilizations ever. With great advances in using paper, they had books, libraries, and information was widely distributed. Scholars were heavily subsidized by the government. They had the first university to grant degrees. You guys know that, right? Muslims, <laughs> where the whole idea of degrees came from. So grades and, and school levels came from Rome. This, anyway, it's just fascinating. So I'm, I'm coming to a conclusion here as I put all this together. This is the basis. This is where we started. This is your foundation. Tomorrow I'll tell you about more about uh, where I went from there because I have uh, recommendations <clears throat> based on the ancient systems. So they had, uni- they had the first university uh, to grant degrees. They drew knowledge from all other cultures and scholars visited from around the world. The center of learning was the House of Wisdom in Baghdad. Gee, surprised anybody? All right. Christianity and Judaism added to the culture and freedom of expression, thought, ideas, and reason were all encouraged. This is how education can flourish. After the Crusades, the Mongol invasions, and the total devastation of the ancient Muslim world, a new fundamentalist society emerged. Illiteracy was population-wide. All former knowledge, libraries, and records were destroyed. And everything that had been gained in education, thought, and progress gave way to the most restrictive religious fundamental societies, which pretty much continue to present day as Sharia law theocracies. So they had it, and they lost it. Freedom's the same way, just to uh, do a little segue there. In Aztec society, between about 1300 and 1500, it was the parents who educated the children until age 14. Homeschooling. Okay. Where we get homeschooling from? The Aztecs. Like I said, doing this, writing this article was, was far more educational for me than anything else. I found it absolutely fascinating. Anyway, so, so kids were homeschooled until the age of 14, and they were supervised by local authorities. At 15, all boys and girls went to school. This is one of the first societies of mandatory education for everyone, regardless of income or title. There were two types of schools, one for trades and military training, and one for liberal arts. The teachers used a Spartan model of discipline. Oh, yeah, that must have been fun. And most of education was oral tradition instead of written. We got writing from the Egyptians. Babylon had standardized language and writing, libraries, and co-education. Mesopotamia had education in the trades. India had free education. China brought philosophy and ethics to education. 
Athens contributed complete educational freedom, private schools, homeschooling, intellectual training, and critical thinking. Sparta gave us military education. Rome gave us socialization, tier levels, and advancement through ability. Europe gave education to the church and progressed from only the clergy receiving training through to the congregations being educated. The Aztecs had compulsory education. Islam learned how to gather the best of the world's information and translate works into Arabic for all of their people to use. So, next paragraph. What can we learn from this? <laughs> Pretty much every type of education option we have today comes from ancient history and has been tried before. We have church schools, private schools, home schools, single-sex schools, military schools, trade schools, vocational schools, specialized schools, schools for one activity like martial arts or dance, private colleges and universities, public schools and universities, scholarships, public and private grants, elite academies, and more. But the vast majority of our citizens go to government schools with government-approved programs that are basically the same nationally. They read the same textbooks, learn the same stuff, are taught to national standards handed down from Washington and tested on those standards. And most who go to college will go to medium to large size public colleges and universities. Most of them will come out with an office trade. <laughs> this is my new term, office trade, as opposed to a you know, blue collar trade. So they come up with an office trade, same as former uh, industrial trades. Today's office facility is the modern factory of old with the same assembly line culture accomplished in a cubicle. The elite still have a specialized private school education and go to the best private universities and are usually on a track to be our leaders. There are exceptions, of course, but that is the general rule. And that, and that we can easily trace back to ancient societies and how they educated their population. So what in education has really been accomplished? How much of what could have been tried has actually been tried? Not much. Education as a practice hasn't really advanced much in, say, the last two to three thousand years. If the system never changes, then each generation starts at about the same place, and so they end up at about the same place, and no progress is made. Oh, sure, knowledge and information changes, but the basic structure of the education system never does. If we are to progress, then each generation needs a generation's worth of new education, not just new information. Otherwise, we will stagnate for another 2,000 or so years. And then I wrote, and this is where I come in. <laughs> so in other words, so part two is going to be my, my recommendations. And so that's where we stand. That's, that's my first part. Hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had fun writing it. Uh, and, uh, and there we go. So let me see. Where, where do we go next? Community education, Shailen Bill of Rights, COVID litigation conference, covered that. Uh, Florida Integrity Bill, you already know about. Uh, ah, here we go. Let's talk about trains. <laughs> because I like trains. And in the next hour, I'm going to play you uh, a really special interview that I did with one of the, the Florida Department of uh, Law Enforcement, the FDLE. Uh, not to be confused with, uh, you know, the fire department, you know, FDNY, which is the fire department of New York. The FDLE is the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. So I just got this. I found this um, Diane Warner published it. He'll be on the show later uh, in our special investigations. Uh, it's, it's from Gateway Pundit, one of my favorites. Uh, this would be February 13th. So the day before Valentine's Day. Um, what if Valentine's Day came on, on hump day? Now, nah, I better just not touch that. All right. Developing emergency officials responding to two more train derailments, one in South Carolina, another in Texas. And I got a video. Okay, I've already told you that we don't have enough uh, spikes in the tracks. The tracks bend because they're not secured properly. Uh, and we still have wooden ties when we should have concrete. So you know what's going on there. Uh, okay, this is, all right, here we go. 
says officials are responding to a train derailment in Ennore on Monday afternoon. That's E-N-O-R-E-E on Monday afternoon. And that's Fox Carolina reported. CSX Transportation are also on the scene. Well, isn't that nice? A severe train derailment in Ohio that happened on February 3rd is still a danger to residents near the crash site. So here's a quote from WBNS. About 50 cars, including 10 carrying hazardous materials, derailed in a fiery crash on February 3rd. This is the train accident in Ohio that we all know about in East Palestine, Ohio. I think they call it Palestine to distinguish it from Palestine in the Middle East, which is not really a place at all. It's kind of made up, but that's another show. Anyway, as this vinyl chloride was later released into the air from five of those cars before crews ignited it to get rid of the highly flammable toxic chemicals in a controlled environment, creating a dark plume of smoke. Okay, now let's talk about the logic of this first of all. If you release stuff into the air that is not a controlled environment, the air has temperature, pressure, wind, humidity, you know, uh, upper atmosphere. There's a lot of places for stuff to go when it gets into the air, okay? It, wherever the wind takes it, that's where it goes, high pressure to low pressure, physics, okay? You've got daytime, you've got nighttime. What goes up, if it's heavier than air, must come down, gravity, right? So they're saying that they released it and burned it, and that's, you know, they, they burned a toxic carcinogen. Well, maybe that is the best way to get rid of it. But if it was really controlled, they would have put it, they would take it into an incinerator. They would have pumped it out from one tank into another tank, trucked it to an incinerator, and burned it there. No, they just burned it out in the open air. Trust me, that is not a controlled release. That is, that is an explosion. <laughs> okay, big difference. And it created a dark plume of smoke. We've all seen the video. Then it says residents from neighborhoods near the crash site have been evacuated because of toxic fumes. No kidding. Meanwhile, Transportation Secretary Beat Buttigieg, who got his job because he married a dude, but that's not in the article. I just put that in. He's complaining about too many white men who work construction jobs. Yeah, that sounds like Buttigieg. Yeah, the problem is the white guys, you know, like, like the, the freedom guys that, you know, built our nation. You know, they, they came up with the Declaration, Declaration of Independence, you know, Jefferson, you know, white guy. Sorry. You know, you know do you know a white guy started Action Radio? Well, that's what I've heard. All right, so there's one. So there are many, many articles on this. I'll put the side and put one more for you. And then I'll, I'll get to my... Uh, um, I think a little bit. So we got that. Uh, where, where should I start here? I want to start with this article. All right. So we've done trains. We're going to do more trains tomorrow. Um, you've, you've got the basic idea. The tracks suck. They're not fastened down properly. They cut, they cut money by only putting in half the number of railroad spikes, and they're still using wooden ties. That's basically the problem. We're using 1800s rail technology with 2030 trains. <laughs> There's your problem right there. You know, you, you were talking, you know, um, what? Oh, you know, if it was 1830, that'd be 200-year-old technology. All right? So we're risking the lives of every American that lives anywhere near a train track with dangerous chemicals, with technology that goes back to the 1800s. I want you to think about that next time you hear a train whistle or a train uh, horn go off. Watch the track. Seriously, next time you're at a railroad crossing, watch the track. See where it bends. You think I'm kidding? You think I'm lying? Test it for yourself. I don't care. All right, let's go to one of my favorite sources, The Defender, Children's Health Defense, News and Views. Uh, and this is the uh, organization started by Robert Francis Kennedy Jr., who I very much want to get on the show. Um, and it says, this is, uh, this is by the Brownstone Institute. Oh, this is where they took it from. Okay, now Brownstone, that's, that's uh, Jeffrey Tucker. I just saw him on, uh, um, with who was it? Uh, Kara McKinney, One American News. So I've tried to reach them before. I'll 
try to reach them again, but I think uh, Jeffrey Tucker of the Brown Institute would be a fabulous guest, and they'd love to help support our legislation. So I don't bring guests on just to bring guests on. I don't. I bring guests on because I'm hoping that they'll pick up our bills and run with them. That's why. That's how you get on the show. That's the, you know, or, or you know, you just happen to be a friend of mine or, or somebody with a really interesting topic. But for the most part, I'm looking for guests that are going to advance citizen legislation, you know, not just be on the show to talk. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not just doing this for ratings. If I was doing it for ratings, I wouldn't be censored. I wouldn't talk about the things that they don't want me to talk about. I talk about the things they do want me to talk about and get great ratings. But, of course, I'd be, you know, completely um, – I wouldn't be true to myself. I would be, I would completely sold my soul. You know, I'm not going to do that. So anyway, so we, we do what we do, do the right thing. You have no regrets, except you're just, you know, it takes longer to get successful. All right. Article says U S government sold your right to jury trial to insulate big pharma from liability. This is something again, that should also come up. I'm going to write this down for Childers. Uh, it says the federal government sold the seventh amendment designed to protect your right to a jury trial to the largest lobbying force in the country, big pharma. Again, Brownstone Institute, written by William Spruance, S-P-R-U-A-N-C-E. Uh, and she says, on February 24th, 1985, the New York Times published, quote, glory days end for pharmaceuticals. The article cited growing competition and legal liabilities as signs that, quote, the big drug companies have suddenly found themselves mired in the same sort of troubles that have plagued less glamorous industries for years. But big tobacco. That's what, that's what I'd say. You, you want to stop smoking ads and smoking uh, and all the new smoking policies? I'll tell you in one word, liability. I'll tell you in two words, product liability. That's what has to be on companies. They have to be responsible for what they're producing. You know, uh, that's just part of, that's, that, that's just the free market regulating them. So they produce dangerous stuff, they get sued. Okay, that's free market at work. If you produce a good product, you don't get sued. And more people buy your product and you, and you rise in the free market. That's how it's supposed to work. You produce a dangerous product, you get your ass sued off. You don't produce it anymore, and lives are saved. See, the free market works. You don't need regulation. You just need the free market. It'd be nice to have regulation, too. You know, good regulation, but that's, you know, well, that's another show, too. Quote says, inevitably, some companies will face staggering liabilities and lengthy court cases on approved drugs that later turn into flops. And that's journalist, journalist William, no, excuse me, Winston Williams wrote. Of course, the glory days did not end for Big Pharma. Let me tell you something, too, that... Um, uh, this uh, actually, I was going to make a point. I forgot what my point was. Now, that uh, the whole idea of liabilities—they wouldn't have liabilities if they made safe products. That's how that works. And then it says, from two, 2000 to 2018, 35 pharmaceutical companies reported cumulative revenues of 11.5 trillion. Let me say that again: cumulative revenue of 11.5 trillion dollars. A study found that this was significantly greater than other large public companies in the same time frame. Of course, because they had product liability and Big Pharma didn't. Duh. Pfizer, <laughs> Pfizer, I should say it properly, <laughs> Pfizer, Pfizer's annual revenue jumped from $3.8 billion in 1984 to a record $100 billion in 2022. Gee, big surprise. The company's COVID-19 products, including its vaccine and Paxlovid, accounted for $57 billion of that income. Hmm. So what else did they sell? That's only about uh, you know, a little less than two-thirds of it. Hmm. Then it says the U.S. government proved a steady stream of taxpayer dollars for big farmers' revenue and shielded the benefiting companies from the cost of litigation. So here's, here's why big farmers is so big. Big farmers is big because they don't, when it came to uh, the COVID jab, they didn't pay for the research and development. We did. They didn't pay for the marketing. We did. Still, we're still paying for the marketing. Have you seen COVID ads on TV? They didn't pay for um, manufacture. 
They didn't pay for distribution. They didn't pay for the inserts, which are blank. <laughs> they didn't pay for anything. And yet they get to sell the COVID jab and make a massive profit. I don't even know if they're paying tax on it, I would assume, but you know, who, who knows for sure, right? But there's no liability because we're paying the cost of that too. You know, with the, the vaccine injury fund, whatever it is, which, you know, isn't even close to covering what, what needs to be done. So it's like, as I explained this, it's like a gambler who keeps, who gets their losses returned to them and keeps their winnings. That's what big pharma does. So everything they lose gets returned to them and they keep all their winnings. That's why they're making multi-trillion dollars, trillion with a T, you know, tango, trillion dollars um, because they don't have any costs and all they do is collect the revenue. Not bad, huh? If you can get that gig. Federal purchases of Pfizer and Moderna's mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, I should say non-vaccines, COVID-19 non-vaccines, have totaled more than $25 billion. The government paid Moderna $2.5 billion of taxpayer funds, that means our money, to develop the non-vaccine. And President Brandon called on local leaders to use public money to bribe citizens to get the shots. Yeah, how about that? Using tax dollars to, to bribe people to take something that is patently unsafe. Uh, and, and dangerous and fatal. <laughs> okay, that's what they're doing. All right, and so uh, what are the, you know the three big lies used to be you know the checks in the mail and I've forgotten the other two. Well, I can only say one of them. <laughs> the three big lies are are now you know the vaccine is safe and effective. Uh, Brandon was elected president, and uh, we need a third one. <laughs> There's got to be something else that's going around these days. Uh, climate change is real. So those are your three big lies right now. Climate change is real. Brandon is really the president, and the vaccine is safe and effective. So those are your three big lies, right? And uh, once you get past that, you know, life is easy. Then it says, these new glory days lack these staggering liabilities that former held, formerly held private companies account- accountable. Let me say that again. It's hard reading stuff cold, but I try anyway. These new glory days lack these staggering liabilities that formerly held private companies accountable. Citizens cannot sue van- vaccine manufacturers. Well, they could if they had my bill passed. They actually had my bill too. Citizens cannot sue vaccine manufacturers, including Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson for any harms resulting from the COVID-19 shots. In February 2020, Secretary of Health and Human Services Alex Azar invoked his powers under the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness, that would be the PREP Act, to provide liability immunity for medical companies in response to COVID-19. So the big government response to companies that already had no liability was to give them make sure they had no liability. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it says Azar repeatedly amended the order to continue providing liability immunity for pharmaceutical companies. I wonder if you can do that. So here's a question for you. This is a Jonathan Mosley question. How can the Secretary of Health and Human Services, who's not a legislator, who's not a member of Congress, provide liability immunity in the course of, of an emergency act? Because liability immunity should not be part of it. You should have liability. It's just like the Constitution is always in force. It can't be suspended, reduced. You know, uh, your rights can't be touched. You know, because that, that, that's how it works. Although that stuff happens all the time. In the same way, I don't see how a bureaucrat can do a legislative function and give liability immunity. That needs to be investigated too. He says the article says Americans bore costs related to producing the company's products and purchasing the inventory of vaccines. In return, they faced mandates to take the mRNA shots, and they lost their right to hold commercial powers accountable for malfeasance. This process subverted the purpose of the Seventh Amendment and created a new system of glory days for Big Pharma. Let's talk about the Seventh Amendment. The Seventh Amendment guarantees the right to a jury trial in civil cases. All right? So all those things that are done by judges, that's illegal. You're guaranteed a jury trial, Seventh Amendment. If you ever find yourself 
you know, in an action where the judge said, I demand a jury trial. Well, you can't do that. We're an administrative judge. We do. No, no. Seventh Amendment. I'm demanding a jury trial of my peers, which does not mean people in D.C. who work for the federal government. If you're in the D.C. Gulag, that's another story. Article says, at the time of its ratification in 1791, advocates of the amendment, that's the Seventh Amendment, sought to protect the rights of common citizens against commercial powers, big pharma, that would otherwise corrupt the judicial system for their own benefit. Hmm. Happened then, too. In Federal Farmer 4, that would be, I'm guessing, anti-federalist. I think they probably misspoke. The author, because I remember Farmer as one of the anti-federalist writers. A Farmer? Uh, you know, if you remember my old pieces back when when uh, Santa Rosa Volunteers was sponsoring the show, uh, so hopefully they'll come back because I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to start doing those, but it takes a lot of time to do those. So you know, anyway, anybody wants to pick up the sponsorship on the Federalist and any Federalist papers, you know, contact me. All right. So it says the author, writing under a pseudonym, in other words, a farmer, argued that the jury system was essential in every free country to maintain the independence of the judiciary, without the protection of the Seventh Amendment. Hegemonic forces, or hegemonic if you're British, the well-born, in other words, the elites, would wield the power of the judiciary, and they would generally be disposed, and very naturally, uh, to favor those of their own description. In other words, rich people would do very well uh, without juries. If, the, if the, it was just judges who are also rich people, especially if they all go to the same country club. <laughs> okay. Article Sir William Blackstone calls jury trials the glory of the English law. Like Federal Farmer 4, he wrote that the absence of a jury would result in a judicial system run by men with an involuntary bias towards those of their own rank and dignity. See, that's why the judiciary favors, you know, rhinos and Democrats. It's, 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 it's their party, right? Article says the Declaration of Independence listed King George III's denial of the benefits of trial by jury to colonists as a grievance that led to the American Revolution. Well, if they're not careful, <laughs> you know, uh, we're, I'm, I'm trying to get the peaceful revolution going so it stays peaceful. Why do you think I have bills on jury trials where juries, you know, we have a bill. Uh, go to writeyourlaws.com. Um, click on legislation. Click on all proposed laws. We have a bill that mandates that judges tell juries of their rights of jury nullification to judge the laws, you know, to, to use the Constitution, to ask for it, to, uh, you know, and that the jury instructs the judge and not the other way around because the jury represents the people. Well, if the people are supreme to the government, which, I, which is the system, then the jury is supreme to the judge. So the judge is the one who takes the instructions, not gives them. That's how it's supposed to work. I bet that's a surprise to a lot of people. Article says, uh, the revolving door between big pharma and government, coupled with the denial of trial by jury, threatens that those who cannot, who control the regulation and litigation process will favor those of their own rank and dignity. Alex Azar, Department of Health and Human Services Secretary, responsible for enacting the PREP Act, was president of the U.S. Division of Eli Lilly, a major pharmaceutical company, from 2012 to 2017. There he oversaw significant price increases for drugs, so he could make more money probably. For example, Eli Lilly doubled the price of its insulin medicine from 2011 to 2016. Insulin, you know, for diabetics, right? So, so we're talking about that's a big product. So, so all the diabetics out there had to pay double for their insulin because of Alex Azar, who then became uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, who I think works for Pfizer now. <laughs> okay. And back to the article, in 2018, Kaiser Health News found nearly 340 former congressional staffers now work for pharmaceutical companies or the lobbying firms. Let me say that again. 2018, Kaiser Health News found nearly 340 former congressional staffers, those are people that write legislation, right, now work for pharmaceutical companies or their lobbying firms. 
Fascinating. Scott Gottlieb resigned as commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in 2019 to join Pfizer's board of directors, a position that pays $365,000 per year, or in other words, $1,000 a day. (laughs) Gottlieb went on to advocate for lockdowns and censorship during COVID-19, of course, even encouraging Twitter to suppress pro-vaccine doctors who discussed natural immunity. Well, isn't that special? White House Counselor Steve Rickett, or Richard Rickett, R-I-C-H-E-T-I, excuse me, R-I-C-H-E-T-T-I, worked as a lobbyist for 20 years before joining the Brandon insurrection, my words. His clients included Novartis, Eli Lilly, and Pfizer. The New York Times described him as one of Brandon's most loyal advisors, my term Brandon, uh, and someone Mr. Biden will almost certainly turn to in times of crisis or in stressful moments. Yeah, of course he would. (laughs) Just as Blackstone warned, the system allows the powerful to insulate those of their, quote, own rank and dignity from accountability of jury trials. See, juries are made up of regular people. See, that's the difference. That's what makes a jury trial so special, right? Or he said that, okay, law professor Suha Thomas, S-U-J-A, writes that the jury is effectively a branch of government. No, it's not. It's a representative of the people. You're wrong. Then it says, similar to the executive, the legislative, and the judiciary that has not been recognized and protected by legal elites and corporations. Well, yeah, they get rid of juries for, just for that reason, because they are of the people. Right? But the federal government, the art says, and Big Pharma have, up, have usurped the jury's role as a branch of government. The result, the most powerful forces in our society warping the legal system to protect their interests is in part what the framers design, designed the Seventh Amendment to Oppose. Now, there's more to the article, but I want to play my interview. And uh, I've been talking for almost an hour and 15 minutes. That's a long time. Try it sometime. So hold off on this. I'll get to it maybe later. But you get the idea, right? You get the idea. We've lost our right to a jury trial. Uh, all the bureaucrats end up working for the companies they regulate. The system is totally corrupt. And the most important thing we can do is get vaccine product liability. That is the single most important thing that would fix a whole bunch of other stuff. All right. Let me get to my interview, which should take us right up to 9 o'clock. And uh, so this is my one with uh, Jack Massey. This is a good interview. I really, I really like this one. So Jack Massey, Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And uh, let me see if I can find it right here. Where's Jack? Jack, Jack, there we go. Okay, fine. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to take us right up to the hour. I might have like a minute or two uh, before Diane and uh, Steve get here and we talk election uh, integrity. So just to set it up once again. This was my, my first uh, and only <laughs> full-time radio job at WEBY, 1330 AM in the great uh, city of Milton, Florida. And uh, it was called uh, Florida's News and Talk Leader. You know, that's what it was. So you get phone numbers that aren't ours. You'll get uh, little uh, um, stingers that aren't ours. And you'll get references to stuff that no longer exists. Well, not, as, not in, a, you know, in its present form, it's different. So forget all that stuff. Our phone number here, 215-383-3832. Um, also, our, my website, blog, our show website, blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction, and our legal website, our bill writing site, writeyourlaws.com. All right. So the first case they talk about, uh, and uh, oh, I forgot her name. I can't believe it right now. But there was a case of a, of a young woman who was kidnapped and killed, was murdered. Uh, you'll hear her name as soon as we get back on uh, and we start this interview. Really well-known case around here, very tragic, but police went all, all over to, uh, to, to make sure this got solved. Uh, Naomi, Naomi, oh, what's her last name? We'll hear about it in a bit. All right, let me play this interview. And so again, Jack Massey, Florida Department of Law Enforcement. He's the lead guy uh, in the Pensacola office of our state police here in Florida. Oh, let me turn it down. I, I always leave it too loud and we get that, that really big theme. So let me at least think a little bit. Let's set this at the right volume. Now I'll play it. 
Yeah, baby. We have a very special guest in the studio, so we're going to get right to this. In fact, I've been uh, talking to him for the past half hour now. We're having a great time here. <laughs> so this is Special Agent in Charge, Jack Massey, of the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And so the way this started originally was with the Manchester uh, uh, bombing attack there by the terrorists. And so I thought, what can I do in radio to get those of us here more prepared for something like this. And so I get on to uh, Brandy Whitehurst, who's the public information officer, San Rosa County. She emailed someone else who emailed someone else who got to you. And so this is how it happened. So because, thank you, Brandy. Uh, always appreciate it. So I have some really amazing contacts, uh, San Rosa County government, to, to, to put this together. And hopefully some of the departments are listening in as well, because I want to have a program I want to talk about later to get this kind of coordinated. But uh, just to get folks caught up, what, what is your job uh, specifically? Well, I am the special agent uh, in charge um, here in Pensacola. Mm -hmm. So I run our investigative section. Also, I've got a little oversight on our forensic side of the house, our lab. Yeah, that's a big deal, isn't it? Yes, that is a tremendous big deal that people uh, uh, don't realize. Okay. So do do county sheriffs come to you with with information? Do local police? I mean, how far do you reach with with the forensic lab? Uh, County, local, and sometimes federal agencies bring their evidence to us. It's that good. Yes, it is. So, you, are you a CSI? Well, we do have CSI, okay. uh, our, our uh, crime scene, okay. um, which is attached to our forensic lab. Okay. We have several throughout the state. Um, we have six labs throughout the state. Okay. So, basically, if there's a crime committed, more than likely that evidence is going to come to us. Okay, interesting. Wow. Anyway, phone number 623-1330. And what I'm going to ask my callers is, is to get right to questions because we have so much um, to cover. I want to go um, to the absolute tragedy last week. This is uh, Naomi Jones, and I know you were deeply involved with that. Uh, as far as Florida Department of Law Enforcement, what can you tell me about your involvement in, in that case? Well, our involvement, when it, whenever a child goes missing, um, we have um, connections through our Tallahassee office okay. to where we can push out alerts, okay. missing person alerts. Um, we also bring investigative uh, function to that. Also, the forensic lab that I that I talked about. Also, we coordinate the uh, our regional child abduction response team. Okay. And um, what is that again? Child reduction abduction response team is called CART. Okay. Can people call you directly if they have a missing child, or does it go through local police? It goes first? through local police first. Okay. Um, and then, and then we get involved okay. um, pretty quickly after that. Okay. Interesting. Wow. So, I remember this case. Uh, with Naomi Jones, part of the things they were reporting from the the press conferences was social media, and the other thing was the fact that we think, or you, you can probably tell me, that she may have known uh, the person uh, that killed her. They had some kind of connection before they'd met or something like that, or the person was in the same apartment complex. So for parents, I mean, what I'm trying to do with this whole show is to do is to get preventive. As so what can we do proactively to prevent these kind of things? So let's take social media first. How has that evolved? How is how have criminals used that um, to to get their victims? What what can you advise us to do on that? Well, always know what your child is on, what app they're using. Okay. Um, and be mindful of that. Okay. Don't be afraid to go on their, their phones, invade their, their privacy. That's the thing. You actually have to physically take Absolutely. their phone and take a look. You recommend Absolutely. that? Okay. Absolutely. Make a list of, of what the apps Make are? Make a, a list of that. Okay. Um, you can contact law enforcement and they can help out. How can they help out? 
Well, they can give you uh, information on what a particular app's all about. Really? So that people can call in and, and say, do you have, you have people studying this kind of stuff? Absolutely. Oh, I didn't know that. This yeah. is fascinating. All right. I mean, they, and, can t- they can tell you the ins and outs of, of a particular app mm-hmm. um, and the dangers. Okay. Do you put out alerts for this or do people have to call in? Um, usually, um, sometimes they call in, but sometimes through our, uh, like local, um, agencies has their public information officers. Okay. They push out a lot of, uh, internet aware, internet yeah. safety. Uh, we also do that. Okay. Can we I get on a list for that? Well, we can get on the, our Facebook. Okay. Just, just, just like our Facebook okay. um, page. Okay. And, and sometimes, usually in the summertime when, right. when school's out, they push a lot of, law enforcement push a lot of safety out. Because kids are usually right, so they're usually not not supposed to, okay. but I'm sure they do on their phones or on their social media. Okay. Um, so they have a lot more access to it, obviously, when they're away from school. So summertime is more dangerous for kids then, because they're not supervised as much. Parents are working. That that is true. You have some kids that that um, that are at home alone. Okay. Um, their parents um, work. Right. And that's just the nature of, uh, of, of the world we live in. Yeah. Do you have specific apps that have caused problems that you can talk about? Um, I kind of don't want to say them over the, over the radio. Okay. But anything that you can uh, chat with. Okay. Anything um, that takes a, um, a um, you can sign up with it and you don't know who's on the other side. That's what I'm wondering because I've never used a chat room. Uh, so I don't know how this works. So so people will, uh, kids, they can just sign up and they don't know who they're talking to. You could be mm-hmm. talking to, you know, a 50-year-old, you know, registered sex offender, or yes. you could be talking to your next door, you know, your same age, 12-year-old next door neighbor. And you don't know. Yes. No, you don't. And what, what I what I try and I, I tell my kids and I tell every, want to tell everybody else's kids is well, I bet sure. your kids, you know, exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, they have no rights in my house. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, until they're adults, right? So, you know, you're making good decisions, yeah. Yes. All right. Um, but I always make sure if you're going to be in those apps, okay. make sure you know the people you're dealing with. How do you do that? Well, there are some apps that you have to be invited in. Okay. So you can make your own, and and, and, and if you know them, mm-hmm. um, those are the safer ones. Okay. The ones that you don't know, like um, I know a lot of people do the Xbox live okay and they play games uh-huh. they can play games with anybody in the world oh really but they don't know i mean you they know who you say you are but that doesn't mean that's who you are can they communicate as well absolutely, sense, uh, absolutely. So, so they can send messages back and forth as well as so anybody could be on a gaming thing and and be looking for take advantage of kids you know using that that xbox wow geez. and they can talk just like you and i are talking right now Okay. And they can and hear each other. No, yeah. And this is and it's interesting. Like I say, we, we sort of joke about this, but in radio, you don't know what a person looks like, you know, just by their voice. And so you don't know what a person's like just by what they say in communication. That's fascinating. Any insight from um, Naomi Jones' case in particular that uh, you have as far as uh, apps and recommendations for uh, parents? Or just... Um, no, just a general be aware of what your okay. child's doing on the Internet. Yeah. And what about the situation where... You know, people around the kids. Do parents always know who their kids are associating with? They should know. Okay. Um, they don't always do, yeah. but that's that's um, now getting to to uh, Naomi Jones. She was um, in uh, Sheriff Morgan in Scamby County um, okay. uh, said this, um, and it 
she wasn't somebody who um, took well or was a person that would engage a stranger. Okay. Um, that was what we understood through through this whole investigation. Okay. So, um, and that's important. You know, that, so she knew the right thing to do. She knew the right thing to do. And even so, it's still tragedy struck. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Anything you can tell us on the investigation, or is that still under investigation? Still under. I mean, still under investigation. Obviously, you have a, a, a person in custody, which right. was um, a wonderful thing to get to get him off the street. That was fast. It was fast. Did someone say to you, "We need this solved right now"? <laughs> well, everybody wanted it solved. Okay. Yeah. But but at the end of the day. Um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a tip. It wasn't a, um, anything. It was good old fashioned hard police work. Well, good for you. So you're just canvassing neighborhoods, talking to people, deductive reasoning, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a good question. How much are you relying on technology, and how much are you relying on old fashioned police work? Is there a balance? Does it go back and forth? What uh, how, you know, gut instincts, the whole bit. I'm just curious for some insights here. Um, nothing. Uh, nothing can overdo or overshadow um, a law enforcement's gut instinct. Okay. A lot of that was um, through this investigation. Right. You talk to people, you get timelines, and you come back and you think about it, and like, something's not right. Okay. It's like a puzzle, right? You're it's putting puzzles together? Absolutely. Okay. You're making Te- a whole picture? Technology helps, okay. but um, good old-fashioned police were getting out there, talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... What solved it? Okay, DNA. That's a big deal now. That's a big deal. Yeah. Everybody sees CSI. They right. think they think uh, all crimes uh, get solved in an hour. <laughs> they don't. They, no. You guys were quick though on this one. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. So they actually coordinated the FBI, correct? FDLE, county sheriffs, local police were all in this operation. How do yes. you do that? Well, um, what is good is every pretty much everybody knew each other before it happened. Okay. So. One of those things I like to say is I don't want to, I don't want to meet a law enforcement um, commander or sheriff at three o'clock in the morning yeah. when something's going bad. Okay, you have to have those relationships up front, okay. and and that's what that's what we have here, both Great. with you know state, local, and federal agencies. Okay, I mean we had we had law enforcement agencies from all the way from Bay County come over. Wow. Yeah. So, and you, you put the word out, and people just respond. That's the, our our child abduction response team. There's yeah. you know over 100 members of that. Okay. And when um, a child goes missing, and we have to have the resources on the ground. Right. That's who we call, and that's what we did. Interesting. So you, especially child abductions. I mean, time is of the essence, isn't it? Time time is of the essence. They they have uh, windows between you know 24 to 72 hours. Okay. After 72 hours, it's the likelihood of somebody being recovered safe is is um, not that good. Wow. So you're looking for runaways, too? Anybody that because uh, I know we had a situation. There was a girl from, I think, Fort Walton ended up in Alabama somewhere. Yes. After a month was just found. Yes. Do you guys uh, find her or Alabama? We, help, we helped on that. Okay. Um, sometimes uh, folk, uh, child, they go missing and they might have a uh, medical issue. Okay. Um, or they just might be running away. Yeah. They might not want to be found. Do you investigate the home situation as to why they ran away at that point? That usually is the local law enforcement okay. and um, in conjunction with the uh, Department of Children and Family okay. gets involved. Interesting. To see what kind of home environment there is. 
Huh, wow. Okay, I want to um, move on. We're going to take a little break now. I want to come to uh, two things happen in Orlando. One, there's a workplace shooting, so I want to talk about workplace safety and how people can be more aware of that, and also the Pulse nightclub, which you were really involved with. So we're going to cover those two things. 818 in the morning, phone number here, 623-1330, 850-623-1330, 1330-WEBY, Northwest Florida's Talk Radio. I'll be back. Your mission, Jack Massey, should you decide to accept it, is to protect the citizens of Florida to the best of your ability. That's why we brought you here. <laughs> Thanks, hey, Doug. <laughs> I told you the music was going to get interesting. All right. There we go. So anyway, the phone number here is 623-1330, area code 623-1330. Um, let's, let's talk quickly about uh, the workplace shooting in Orlando. What can we do to be more aware in the workplace? Now, our particular radio station, there's a nice sign up front, you know, firearms welcome here. You know, that, but you don't see that in most businesses. But some businesses do. Uh, but other places, they say no firearms allowed. And I guess bars, you can't uh, bring firearms in. But uh, crowded places, uh, workplace, we'll get to the pulse in a little bit, but, but let's do workplaces first. How can we more secure at work and be more aware? Well, um, the f- first thing is know your surroundings. Okay. Uh, make sure no matter where you are, you have a plan. Okay. Um, that so all companies should have a plan? All companies should have a plan. Can they talk to you about developing yes, a plan? Yes, absolutely. There, okay. There's, there's uh, you know, our, our website. Uh, yeah, why do you get that right now? Uh, www.fdle.state.fl.us. Okay. Um, that'll have some information on what businesses can do to okay. be safe. Okay. Um, have a plan is is the most important. Have an evacuation plan because you have um, – all types of business, all sizes of businesses. Okay. You have something that is uh, very small to very large. Hmm. Um, one thing you do not want is you don't want a chaotic scene. Okay. Because that adds to um, the uh, the issue for law enforcement when they get there. Um, have a plan. Make sure you you stick by that plan. Okay. Um, and what would be in a plan that you can tell me? I don't want to give away, you know, secrets. And stuff no, like no, just, it's not secret. Basic. It, what, what should companies be looking to do? Well, if you know the um, the entrances. Okay. okay? Um, where are they? Um, what uh, what can you see? Do you have cameras up? Okay. Do you have somebody in, inside your business monitoring what comes in and out? Yeah. How about people? Because we're talking about a disgruntled employee who was fired uh, yes. in the Orlando, the awning company. You know, so should there be an alert when somebody's being fired, you know, to watch over the next several weeks or vehicles to watch for or people to watch for or check-ins at work or things like that? Well, I, I think it, it's a good idea if, if you do have a, um, a disgruntled employee that was fired, at least, you know, make sure all the employees are aware okay. that, that this happened. Um, I think that's the right thing to do. Okay. Security people at work, uh, concealed carry holders. Um, we can talk about campus stuff later, but um, you know, do, is there a recommendation either way or to have like designated employees, like they have designated teachers on, on various schools and things, mm-hmm. to be carrying concealed? Is that a possibility with companies? Most companies don't want the liability. No, uh, most companies don't. But uh, about concealed fire, uh, firing permits, um, the one thing I can – you know, suggest is if you're going to get a concealed uh, firearms uh, firearms weapon, mm-hmm. um, make sure right. um, that your employer um, ha- has no problem with it being in your business. Okay. Make sure you follow all the laws. Right. But the most thing, the most important is be proficient. Okay. 
that's I need more practice. I had my concealed carry instructor on here uh, last week, so we've gone from local, from personal protection to county protection. Now we're up to state protection. Right. That's you, interesting. You, so you, proficiency. You, yeah. You've got to be proficient. You've right. got to you've got to do scenarios, a shoot don't shoot scenarios. Okay. You've got to be proficient in um, gun retention. That's one thing people don't realize. Let's talk about that. What exactly is gun retention? Well, making sure that if you pull your gun out, right. you can retain it. Okay. Because even the, 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 the law enforcement officers um, throughout history, mm-hmm. some have been killed with their own weapon. Wow. So even the professionals right. um, sometimes don't retain their weapon. Okay. And um, so it's like there's good and bad to this. So in other words, if you have employees who are caring, you've got an additional security, but there are extra things that they have to do. They have to be proficient as well. And so it's a, it's a huge responsibility either way. You've got to, and you, and you've got to, you've got to be able to, now I can tell you if, if there's somebody that is, is carrying a, a weapon legally uh-huh. um, and there's an issue that, that comes up, right. you know, somebody comes in as an active shooter, I rather they deal with that person right away. Okay. Because, you know, we are first responders, or you've got local, they're first responders. But you're not there. You're not there. But we're not there. The citizens are really the true first responders. Okay. Because bad things can happen in seconds. Yeah. Um, It's going to take law enforcement a minute to get there. Right. Which is good. Yes. But. But. Yeah. um, So... One of the things that uh, we look at and we, we throw out there is this um, run, hide, and fight. Yeah, what's that program? Um, it, it Basically, it's an awareness program for the Department of Homeland Security. Okay. And other agencies, other law enforcement have, a, you know, avoidance, awareness, just different things meaning the same thing. Okay. Um, you know, run, it's easy. If you can get out, if you can escape, get out. Okay. Um, don't be indecisive about it. Get out of get out of the uh, get out of harm's way. Okay. If you cannot get out of harm's way, and they teach us in schools, they teach us in in in, in larger buildings. Um, hide. Okay. Find some place. Uh, turn off the lights. Okay. Turn your cell phones off. Why? Because you want to be as quiet as possible. You don't want it ringing. While you don't want it ringing. Okay. Lights go out. So that would uh, more apps that the shooter, okay. seeing there's nobody in there, will walk right by. Okay. Because that's what, what's an active shooter's going to do. That person wants to yeah. look for targets. Yeah. They walk by a classroom or they walk by something that has dark. They're not going to go in. They're going to continue down the hallway. Okay. Okay. Um, and the last one is fight. If sometimes if if the first two don't work, you've got to fight for your life. Yeah. That means. To your point, what can you do uh, in the beginning is you you got to make sure you have something there that you can defend yourself. Okay. Fire extinguishers. How do you, how do you use a fire back. extinguisher? You knock them over the head with it. Okay. As does, hard as you can. Does the spray work at all? or just, You could try to do the, the spray. But, the, but it's as good as a knockout weapon? Absolutely. Okay. You find something big enough. Okay. To, to take care of the problem. So know where your fire extinguishers are in your building. Fire super is one for fires and two for security. I never Absolutely. thought of that. Yeah. Absolutely. You have all kinds of different things around here that you could use. We've got microphones. Microphones. I'm not afraid to use it. You're not. <laughs> your okay. computer. Any, yeah. Anything that you okay. could use to, to fight your way out of the situation, okay. you need to do it. You fight for your life. Oh, wow. How about cover uh, in the after shooting situation? What, what are the best things to, to use for, for cover to hide behind? So if there is an active shooter. 
Well, um, it depends on what you're talking about. Cover, cover uh, means different things to law enforcement. Cover is just something that you get behind. Okay, like a like a heavy desk wall. Heavy desk, like that. things of that nature. Okay. Now, uh, hard cover, of course, uh-huh. is you know you're if you're in, inside, maybe you're inside a. Uh, uh, auto mechanic shop or whatever, okay. you know, behind an engine or behind that's hardcover. Okay. Cover is only, is, is, is basically concealment. You're just hiding. You're just hiding, but you can still be a victim. Absolutely. Okay. Hmm. So it, it, for companies, I guess they have to decide whether they, they want the extra, uh, capability of employees who are armed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, but also the extra responsibility of making sure they're trained or they're going to have the responsibility, if, if nobody is armed, of, of having potential victims because they can't take care of themselves. So there's, there's two sides to weigh in this. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. And they can use you as a resource to uh, help plan that. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. How about the Pulse nightclub? It's the anniversary, I think, today. Today, uh, yes. And so the flags are at half staff. Mm-hmm. What, could, uh, what could we learn from that to help? Well, um, you know, one of the big things is, is down in Pulse nightclub, it... If you've never seen the building, you might have saw it on TV. Okay. Um, it's not as big as you think it is. Okay. It's kind of a, um, it's been described as like an Outback. Steakhouse outback Steakhouse, type. okay, right. Um, and there was um, three or 400 people inside, maybe more. Okay. Um, so small place, huge amount of people. Huge amount of people. Oh, wow. That's, that's, um, almost a, some, that's almost a red flag right there. Right, yeah. right. Um, now, they did have an off-duty um, officer there. Okay. But that's just one person trying to, what I call, herd the cats, trying to figure out, you know, where the security issues are. Right. Because um, panic is going to be your first concern when something happens. Panic. Right? Yeah. Panic. People, uh, and from what I understand, is is um, the music was so loud. Right. And everybody was such a, have, have uh, such a good time that when those initial shots started, mm-hmm. people were like, is this part of the... The show. They didn't know what's going on at first. They didn't know what's going Interesting. on. Interesting. Is there any kind of, of shot sound device that can uh, trigger a reaction in the club? In other words, if there's a gunshot that has a particular, uh, I don't know what the register or the, the, the signature is on an uh, oscilloscope for a gunshot, but right. can that, because I know there are gunshot monitors around town, so they'll find out where gunshots mm-hmm. where they can locate. Sure. Can, are there things available for clubs where they can, if something happens like that, the music goes off, an alert goes on, people are told, you know, Take cover, go to the exit, things like that. Is there any kind of security device like that? I don't. I, I'm not aware of any. I just think it's just good old. Um, hey, that was a gunshot. Okay. Um, kill the music. Kill the music, everybody. But but nobody had a chance. Okay. Um, and exits. Do they have enough exits? The gunshots. Um, as far as I know, they did. Okay. Um, the gunshots were just so um, so many. Okay. It was it was um, almost like a, a fully automatic machine gun going off. Wow! And you did the report on this, right? I did our after action okay. before the Florida Department of Law Enforcement on okay. on our basically response, looking at our response. We we actually um, had about 162 people involved. Oh wow! From beginning to end. Okay. Um, so uh, we had people there on on, on scene when it was going on because uh, it initially when um, when it happened. See, we do most of the state. We do all the officer and deputy involved shootings. Okay. So that's how it came in. Okay. Because we understood that uh, some deputies and officers exchanged gunfire with an active shooter. So that's what our response was. 
And usually when we go out to those scenes, it's over. Right. Well, when our Orlando office got there, it was still going on. Oh, wow. So, they, it, yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much, uh, you know, you know about it in, in the media, but, but there was some, some media reports that it took so long for, the, for law enforcement to get inside. Um, What's the story on that? I can tell you that's completely false. Okay. Uh, we, there was that off-duty officer um, engaged the, uh, the gunman right away. Okay. Um, there was a group, a team, after act, act act shooter training, which goes back to Columbine. Okay. When, when prior to Columbine, um, the active shooter, there was no active shooter training. Okay. Basically, you held and, and wait for SWAT team to come. And they held for hours outside yes. in that case. Yes. And so that policy was then changed to we're not going to wait. Not going to wait. Okay. You, get a, you, you train, right. and, and you get a team there right away, uh-huh. and you go in, and that's what they did. Okay. Within a couple of minutes, they were in, inside. Wow. What do people do in a situation like that? You're just a regular citizen. You're having a good time, and all of a sudden, the worst thing that can happen happens. What, what should people do? Well, again, run, hide, fight. Okay. Those three. Okay. Run. First, um, in this situation, um, this guy um, put down a lot of rounds yeah. to where a lot of people did not have a chance that's, that's, to do any of these. That's so tragic. I mean, it's just, yeah. But um, with law enforcement getting in there, mm-hmm. and actually what law enforcement did is they went in front in the sides, and they basically pushed him all the way to the back. Okay. And to where he couldn't... Um, so it could have been worse then. Could have been worse. Okay. If law enforcement didn't get inside, it would have been worse. Wow. But but they got inside and they were in there for several hours. Yeah. Cause, because that's when the whole... They started... He's The, the individual in there, I won't even say his name. Oh, don't bother. Uh, I, you know. It is... There was, you know, supposedly bombs inside. Okay. Bombs all over the place. And you didn't know. No. Yeah. No. And so yeah. so you got to... What, what people don't get is you got law enforcement officers right. um, protecting the lives of people inside, and they could have been killed too. Yeah. They didn't know if, if if this guy did have bombs. They they weren't leaving. That's amazing. And those are the kind of people that uh, will do this, right? You know, and you know. had a, you had an Orlando Police Department uh, SWAT team member huh. get shot in the head. Yeah. Lucky that had his uh, Kevlar helmet on. Okay. Um, but, um, law enforcement did a tremendous job, uh, getting people out, um, and the medical response to, um, they set up triage, luckily about a block away from, uh, the best trauma, uh, uh hospital yeah. in Orlando. So you guys are prepared for this now. So I guess the thing to do is to prepare citizens. What can citizens do to learn more about what to do other than the, you got the run, uh, hide fight program. Is there anything else just for folks in general? And we'll get more into this, you know, after the break. Yeah. The, uh, the, if you see something, say something campaign is, is something that people can do. Okay. Let's talk about that after we get back. Anyway, so 836, got a second break here. Uh, Greg Pungus here with my special guest, uh, special agent in charge, Jack Massey of the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. We'll be right back. 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's talk radio. It was a dark and stormy night. I was there with my fedora and 
She looked wonderful coming out of the smoke and the fog, driving a 1948 DeSoto. It was just one of those nights. Thanks, Adog. Yeah, I'm going to run with anything you give me, so whatever the music is, that's just how it goes. Special Agent in Charge Jack Massey is my guest from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Let's go to this, the See Something, Say Something program. What's that all about? Well, this program actually started after September 11th in, in uh, New York, okay. the New York Transit. Um, they, that group wanted to put together a program that would not only get their employees to, to be aware but also the citizens. Okay. So that's what they came up. If you see something, say something. That's exactly what it means. If you see something suspicious, All right. say something about it. Define suspicious. Suspicious is, is a behavior. Okay. So if, for instance, it's 100 degrees outside. Right. And we are in Florida, obviously. Right. And we some, see somebody walking down the street in a black trench coat or something. Especially with like bulging. Maybe. Bulging out. Okay. That's, that's suspicious. That is sweating. Uh, yeah. That has something underneath his coat. Okay. That might be coming out the bottom. Um, might have a package in, in, in his hand. You know, what, I can sell good packages from bag packages. Uh, you, you can't. Okay. You can't. Um, but that type of thing, it's not, it's not an individual um, it's not, uh, it's a behavior. It's, it's, if something doesn't look right, sound right, feel right mm-hmm. to you, it probably isn't right. Yeah. Here's the thing, too. Uh, I think there's a huge psychology that people are afraid to be wrong. They don't want to bother you because they don't want to be the one that says, well, it was nothing, you know, but my whole point is that's exactly what you want. You want that report, right? So can exactly. You, can you talk about the psychology of this Well, I, I can tell you um, the San Bernardino Shooting. Okay. Um, I don't know if you remember that. The, I stayed there on my way driving out here when I moved. Well, actually, yeah. well, you had that that yeah. that individual that was at a Christmas party, I believe. Right. Went in, was there for a while, left, came back, and and was active shooter, shot a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, that I do remember very well. Yeah. Well, here here's let's bring this full full circle. We had they had a neighbor. Okay. That saw some suspicious activity coming in and out in and out of their apartment. Do, do we remember what was specifically was suspicious? I believe it was individuals okay. um, that were coming out moving boxes. Okay. Um, but that individual didn't call because they didn't want to um, be known as a racist because oh. of the nationality of oh the people coming in and out. Oh, that is that is so dumb. But I mean, I understand it completely. So, I mean, and I do too because that's our culture now. Absolutely. You know, group identity. You know, you don't want to do this. You know, in fact, you're told not to profile. Correct. So that's why you have to pat down Swedish grandmothers at the airport, <laughs> as opposed to you know middle age, as opposed to thirty year old you know Middle Eastern guys who right. are who are screaming Allahu Akbar. Yeah, exactly. You know, okay. so, because you don't want to profile, you no. don't want to target. You know, you don't want to do that. that's nuts. Yes. This PC nonsense is is killing people. It is. So, do you want to talk about that a bit? Well, it, but that's what's good about this program is okay. you don't have to um, you don't have to, to give us your name. Okay. It, it can remain anonymous. Right. But if you see something suspicious, yeah. call the number. And I have can I can I oh, put out the number? Yeah, absolutely. It's a one eight five five F L A safe. That's one eight five five three five two. Seven two three three. Is that Homeland Security? 
No, that actually rings at our office okay. in Tallahassee. It's our okay. fusion, Florida Fusion Center. Yeah, we should post that on Facebook. We'll probably do that. Uh, I'll get the number from you, and then we'll, we'll get that up there. Yeah, but I really think there's a psychology in this. <clears throat> and I'll tell you how this came about. Any, any uh, other things on, on people or, or packages or scenarios or things? Because like in Manchester, this is how this all started to get you here. Uh, I guess the person was walking in with a package while everybody else was leaving. Mm-hmm. So the, the situation was trying to be proactive. You know, they checked people coming in, but they weren't as, as proactive checking people on the way out. And I guess that's all changed now too. Well, yeah, they, they, they normally, and, and I guess what happened in Manchester was outside the arena. Right. And, you know, you do not have to get inside a arena or anywhere to make an issue. Right. You can do it outside um, like this was. Right. Um, and um, it's a shame. Well, it seems like they're a step ahead, you know, because now we have, you know, pretty good background checks for firearms mm-hmm. purchases, so they're using trucks. Yes. You know, uh, laptop computers are being checked, so they're not using laptops anymore. Right. Shoes are being checked, so they're not using shoes. They're going to use something else. So my thought is always, what can we do in advance? And I want to get to a program. Here's my big idea, okay? And it's called the Citizen Monitor Program. And the way this started, uh, I try to think ahead and try and be proactive and think, what if? I'm always doing my mind. I'm, I'm, this is why I'm sort of glad I have ADHD in a way, because I'm always thinking about weird stuff. Um, but the situation back in California, I was bike riding along the shoreline. Uh, next to a major airport, and there was a boat sitting on the flight path to this major airport, and it was just sitting there. It was outside the channel, and I'm immediately, red flags are going off in my head. If I were a terrorist and I had a, a, a missile intended to do harm to an airplane, that's where I'd be on that boat. And so I didn't know. I talked to a couple of other people. What do you think? Ah, it's a boat. Yeah, don't worry about it. I worry about it, okay? Because it didn't look right. Like I say, it could have been, if it was going in the channel up and down, that would have been fine, but it wasn't. It was just sitting right there. And so I'm looking at this boat for a little while. I'm thinking, what do I do now? So I called local police. They put me right onto the Coast Guard, all right? The boat turned out to be in the airport security area, but airport security wasn't there. Coast Guard, I'm not going to say how long, they took longer than I would have wanted to come out and investigate this, and both still sitting there. So you've got to imagine the scenario, and I, I talked about this a few minutes ago. So here's me on my bike, all right? The boat takes off and heads for the marina, all right? I don't want to lose this thing, all right? So I'm watching, so I'm pedaling as quickly as I can. I got the cell phone in one hand. I got the bike in the other hand. I'm racing down the shoreline, going around people, okay? So this is a crowded shoreline, following this boat into the marina, memorizing everything about it, where the fishing poles are, what the bow looks like, the colors, because I can't read the name. So I want to make sure I find the right boat. And so I follow this into the marina, and I'm sitting there, I don't know, 50 yards away, and the Coast, I'm on the phone with the Coast Guard all this time, right? And so I'm talking to them, and they're saying, well, don't get too close. This could be, we don't know what this could be, and we're worried about your safety. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm still watching, waiting for you guys to show up. They boarded the boat, searched them. They could have given them, I think it was, again, a $10,000 fine, uh, but they didn't. It turned out to be an older couple, uh, unfamiliar with the area, in the wrong place. They didn't know it. But here's what happened. A lot of phone calls were made the next day. Uh, because it did take too long. They weren't coordinated. Airport wasn't connected to local police, not connected to the Coast Guard. And what they found out in a situation like this, um, where we actually, somebody actually called, was that there were some inadequacies. And so it was really interesting. So I can just imagine what the phone calls were the next day. But I, I spent a lot of time with the, the local police lieutenant talking about this and, and what happened. And so the, the point of all this is that um, I came up with the idea to be a citizen monitor. In other words, people who don't want to be uh, or can't be for, for reasons I'm like, you know, mid-50s, uh, starting off a law enforcement career, but want to do more. And so for, for uh, former retired law enforcement, former retired military, 
for people, um, like I say, concealed carry holders who already want to be more involved, for people that just want to, to get this. I think that it should be available to have, you know, more training in what does look suspicious. So we're monitors out there. And it's like I joked around, is the, the bank commercial. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a security guard. I'm a security monitor. Okay. <laughs> so we're not going to be law enforcement. We're not trying to be. Sure. Because that's not our profession. We're not sworn <laughs> to do that. But... There's more of us out there that we can be, we would be the ones, the first ones to see something and say something so we can enhance that program. What do you think? Um, great idea. Okay. Um, and that idea has been, um, has been pushed out um, okay. with some local law enforcement officers I know. Um, even when I was a local, we had um, citizens on patrol. Okay. We had actually volunteers. That would they 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 were in uniform. Mm -hmm. Now they didn't carry a gun, right? Um, and they were in uh, marked patrol cars, okay. and they patrolled the neighborhood. Hmm. Uh, now that's a, a smaller scale than what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if if everybody. Well, I'm pretty sure everybody does. All the law enforcement doesn't have that capability, but some do. Um, and that's the added training. Some also uh, some. Uh, Law enforcement agencies do citizens academies. Okay. To where um, to where they come in and they learn about law enforcement. They learn about the agency. Okay. Um, they go through some some scenarios, some other scenarios like what's suspicious, um, things of that nature. And getting back to your scenario, that's what you see something. You saw something. Yeah. And you said something. Yeah. And nothing came of it, but they were really grateful that I called. Absolutely. Really grateful. But but yeah. but here's the thing: is even though it wasn't nefarious, right. what you did was you showed that there was a gap. Yep. And I rather have it come out then mm -hmm. than later on when there's something that truly happened. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So you've got you've got all kinds of different um, scenarios when it comes to to citizens. You've got uh, defensive tactics okay. um, that you can do. There's um, some local agencies uh, in Central Florida that have basically their own little defensive tactic, defensive shooting, and then then they show you, you know, they talk to you about staying your ground laws. They talk, yeah, that just changed the whole responsibility. Yes, it did. Of that. Yeah, it, we talked it, about that earlier. Yeah, um, so. They they bring in lawyers to talk to you about that. Mm -hmm. They put you through shoot don't shoot scenarios, okay. um, and that leads up to the hours you need for your CCW license. Okay. Um, so law enforcement agencies are taking that and are embracing that. They're saying, you know what, we do need those extra eyes on uh, on the ground. Okay. But. We're not trying to take your job. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, so you got agencies say, come, come in and we'll show you a little, we'll show you some stuff. Yeah, yeah. What I was thinking was um, do an extra background check, interview, whatever you would do. Uh, I mean, use me as a guinea pig because I want to be, I want to try this. I want to be the first one. Would I talk to you or would I talk to the county sheriffs or where would I start you know, this kind of program? I would, I would start with the county because okay. some of them have, like I said, some of them have that, so might be a program that volunteer already. program. Okay. Um, that you can go out there and you can and you can be a part of the. Well, I want to get process. Sheriff Jordan. I want to get to local county sheriff, uh, San Rosa County and Escambia County, both on the air here. We unfortunately have to take one more break. Ready, Doug? So let's do that right now. So I've got my very special guest. I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you, sir. Uh, special Agent in Charge Jack Massey, Florida Department of Law Enforcement. We'll be right back. 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's Talk Radio.
there I was with my Marlboro tucking away under a lamppost. I don't know who she was or where she came from, but then she walked into my life. Got a light, big guy, she said. Remember this film noir day? <laughs> I was expecting, like, you know, bad boys, bad boys. Yeah. Which, <laughs> but no, we got that. Yeah. Thanks, hey, Doug. Nice noir stuff, because I'm a big film noir fan, so I love those old films. Anyway, so my special guest, Jack Massey, Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Um, we were talking about, what were we talking about here? Um, oh, yeah, Citizen Monitor stuff. Um, what, so local sheriffs, we can do that. Oh, you mentioned something. You can give that number once again. Yeah, the see something, say something. Um, one eight eight five. I'm sorry, one eight five five. There we go. 352-7233. And what I wanted to kind of throw out there was this does not take take place of 911. Okay. If you need police there right now, you call 911. I, I do not want uh, to take any way, anything away from the actual emergency number 911 because that's so important. So even if someone is in a see something, say something situation, they can call 911? Absolutely. That's not a problem. Yep. Okay. So it doesn't have to be you know, a, a, a life emergency thing. It should be most times, but I mean, right. in this case, you know, because it could be. And this is the thing. My situation or my, my thinking was I didn't want to be, be the person that didn't say something and could have. Right. You know, and most people are like, oh, I don't want to be the person who's wrong. So how do we change that thinking? You know, I don't know. Okay. I mean, I, I really don't. Um, it's just important, and, and I think, I think unfortunately, th- bad things have to happen for people to, to, to get an understanding of, okay, if somebody... That's reactive again as opposed to proactive. I know, I know. Yeah, sad. It is sad. Yeah. But if, if more people would just, if they see something that this does not look right, mm-hmm. pick up the phone and call. And, 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 you know, one of the things... It could be that, It could be a car parked on a bridge. It could be a package in a mall. It could I be. Mean, it could be any of those. Anything that just doesn't look, or, you know, a car in your neighborhood yep. that's been there too long. Yep. You know, any of that stuff. Absolutely. And I know, I know we're in a, a computer and, and texting age. There are also apps um, to text the information. If you don't want to call, text it. Okay. So are there things on computer that people are, should watch out for? Are there, there websites or information or are people being, uh, I guess, you know, I mean, identities are being stolen. Yes. Anything that is there, are people is there any terrorist information that people are getting from computer programs or things or just people's information? I'm just kind of speculating here. Well, you you always have that um, the uh, the people who like to hack computers or hack okay. into things, right? The um, network intrusions and things of that nature. Yeah. That's when your personal stuff gets gets stolen. Wow. Um, you you just gotta you just gotta be mindful of it. Hmm. We only have a couple minutes left. Anything else that uh, you should you want to present that uh, we haven't covered? No, I, I think we uh, we covered most of it. Okay. Let's go back to being me being the guinea pig for my program, my citizen monitor program. Again, uh, you know, the bank commercial. <laughs> I'm a monitor. <laughs> I love that part. So if I wanted to do this and other people are interested in becoming more involved in citizen monitors, as I call it, should we should I do it through the radio station here and contact the sheriff myself, or should other people give the local sheriff a call, or, or how can we coordinate this and, and get a better program for people? Well, I... I through the local sheriff's office, I think um, okay. if they have a program, it would probably say on their website if they have some type of volunteer program. I'll say we have that first then. Um, I think that's the best way to go. Okay. Um, absent that, um, I think some of the cities might have have uh, some programs, but but most most of the time it's going to be the counties. Okay. Hmm. And so you guys aren't worried about climate change, are you? 
<laughs> I just had to. Th- I'm sorry. I just had to throw that out because like I was because there's like this climate change thing. And this is the big thing. They say, well, climate change is more dangerous than terrorism. Do you guys even bother with that? You know? No, is it, not really. You know, I'm not. What, what, is that a distraction from the real problem? It is. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, had a I think it is. I, I don't know the statute for uh, climate change. <laughs> we just had to have a little bit of fun here. <laughs> you, know, you got a question for our guest? No, uh, he provided a lot of great information. We've covered it. We have 20 seconds left, but we've covered everything I can possibly think of, except to thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. And I'll give you our number here. So if you ever have an alert, if you ever need our help, if you ever need anything that the, 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 the audience can help with, watch out for Amber Alerts, things like that. Call me immediately. I'll break into the show, and we'll get it taken care of. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. So that's how it was at WBY. We've, we've reset the Wayback Machine. We're now in present day here, uh, February 15th of, of 2023. But that was June 12th of uh, 2017. I've been in radio three months. And again, we had Adolph, the producer. We had WBY. Uh, this, these were a lot of these uh, interviews that you're hearing that I'm replaying here now for, for the first time, really. Uh, we're in studio. And so we had this beautiful oak table varnished. And we had about three large microphones, um, sometimes four if we had more guests. But a lot of these do- interviews were done in studio. So I'm looking right at the guests. A lot of eye contact, a lot of other stuff that, uh, that you don't get. Now, because you know, I operate out of out of my uh, secure location here, somewhere in the the greater historic district of Milton, Florida, um, and it's just it's a different thing. I mean, now I have people from all over the country calling in too, so that's different as well. But it was a great station; it was an amazing experience. And what was so cool was being able to serve the community and and having access because the station had been there for so many years. You know, people knew who we were, knew who they were. They didn't know who I was, but uh, a lot of folks would come on. And that was uh, Jack Massey, uh, the, who's in Pensacola, the, the head of the, the Florida you know Department of Law Enforcement in this area. I want to get him back. I'm going to try and give him that interview. In fact, I owe Chris Barra his, uh, his one as well. Uh, time for election integrity. We're uh, waiting for Steve Child to join us. I've got uh, Diane Warner here, our, our par excellence you know, latest, greatest superstar uh, here at Action Radio with Election Integrity Report. And, of course, we toss in medical freedom when we run out of election stuff, which can happen, too. But, uh, Diane, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to any of that interview, but, it, you know, I hear these again. I got, I got, we really cover some, some incredible stuff. I mean, it was pretty amazing how it all worked out, especially, again, this was my first radio gig. And so we just, just kind of leapt in and did it. Good morning. Had your coffee? Ready to go? Good morning. How are you feeling? Yeah. I, I'm good. How are you? I'm great now. Spent the first hour talking to myself. Well, I, everybody's listening, but I'm just saying that. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we you know, normally have we, Wednesdays used to be. Well, Bill, when Bill started off, Bill would kick it off, and he'd always get me going. And uh, the lovely and talented Bill Fecky, uh, and then Wendy would come on with uh, the Oh My God report. And so my, you know, she'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bill's going back in a couple of months. But Wednesdays, I get a couple hours in the morning, so I'm, I'm, you know, dragging out some of these old interviews. I find I can talk for about an hour, and then I get, uh, I get bored myself. <laughs> it's like, okay, I had enough. Time to do something else. So this is, I love guests. I love, I love guests. Well, uh, is, is Steve? Does Steve know to call in? Like, you know, now? <laughs> yeah, he's not on. He's not on yet. It's, no, so he's not, he's not in a different time zone. He's not in a different time zone, is he? No. He's, he's no, local. He's okay. In, so he's that's local. no excuse. Uh-huh. All right. You might want to text him that, um, <laughs> that, that now would be a good time to call if he wants to join us for the show. And I'll, I'll just vamp in the meantime. Um, that Citizen Monitor program. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. He's texting me. What's the number again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, this is why we, we always give the number ahead of time. 
Um, just I, I, I did it like the night before I morning. Well, but you, you, have to, you actually have to do it the morning of. Here's, all right, here's a radio thing, folks. Uh, you know, if you're going to be on the guest of the show, uh, then uh, chances are one of us will, will text the number. If not, then if you don't call in, then we'll know. what It's usually the number. That's, that's pretty standard. Or you know what happens a lot of times? Uh, people will call my cell number. <laughs> but I don't give it out so often. Uh, and it's like, no, wrong number. You know, go over there. Because I have to put the commercial on and the whole bit. It's kind of crazy. So we'll get him on here good. We'll get him on here in a second. So, when, yeah. when, so after you text him, go ahead, text him now. I can talk. Um, the the I, biggest thing is that, that Diane and I were talking about, we were predicting um, the Trump's running mate earlier. Uh, we both think it's going to be Carrie Lake. And I think that's going to be fascinating. She's in Iowa. Gee, I wonder why. Right? Where else do presidential candidates uh, go? And what was fascinating, I was watching One American News last night, and Sarah Palin basically invited herself. So I'm available. <laughs> you know, I'll do it again. So that would be fascinating. So then I came up with this, this kind of interesting scenario. If at some point we had Sarah a Sarah Palin can come on. Well, no, she's not going to be on the show yet, but she says she wanted to be vice president again. She wanted to be a vice presidential candidate. Oh, I thought you meant yeah, she no, wanted to be on the show. Like, cool. Well, well <laughs> she, she, she does. She just doesn't know about us yet. And I, well, here's, here's the point oh, I was making. Okay. <clears throat> there's, there's, uh, there's Steve, so I'll make his line live. Um, but the point I was making with Sarah Palin was that Eric Bowling had her on, and he says that they're friends. So I'm like, I'm going to write him. I've been trying to get in touch with Sarah Palin for about three years because I'd love to have her on the show. She would be the most dynamite spokesperson for our citizen legislation. You know, she get out there, I'm the mama bear, and I can tell you this is what you want. This is a great bill. I can see Russia all the way from here, and I can tell you they'd like it too. <laughs> you know, that was Tina Fey. Sorry, folks, for those that don't know. So now that I've totally confused uh, someone who's never been on the show, let's, let's uh, uh, straighten up and fly right, yeah. as they say. Steve Terrell, <laughs> welcome to our normal morning confusion here at Action Radio. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning, Diane Greg. Uh, Hi, thanks Steve. for having me on. Hi. Good deal. Well, yeah, good to have you. Want on. me to introduce him? Well, why don't you do that? I'll just kind of. I've, 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 I've been talking the first hour. I can kind of hang and listen for a while. But you know me. I'll ask some okay. question he can't answer, and you know, situation normal. <laughs> what did you start? <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking forward to having you on the show, Steve. I, I have such great respect for this man. Um, he's my first guest, and I'm proud to call him a very good Steve. And I've been through the trenches together for a year and a half, investigating election integrity. And um, it, uh, why don't you like, give us a little excerpt on what you've well, done? Well, let's about, give a cheer, well, first of all. Tell us a little bit about your There you go. <laughs> awesome. Back to you, Diane. Why don't you yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself, Steve, because I, I know you really well, but I know that a lot of people don't. And I you don't. Tell us a little bit about your history and yeah. and, 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 and tell us a little yeah. bit about uh, well, your past a little bit and then about okay. how you got into election integrity. Yeah, I was just a, a regular old voter until 2020, and uh, just like everybody else, you know, voted, went home, did my civic duty there, you know. And then uh, <clears throat> I woke up in November um, election in 2020, and I decided, how can I get more involved, you know? So searching different groups on uh, Telegram, I found Defend Florida and joined that group, and then... Uh, along with yourself and others, we started canvassing in Navarre and Milton and throughout Santa Rosa County, and we started finding that people on the voter rolls were, you know, they didn't live at that house anymore. And some of them, six or seven different people at one home. So that kind of got started with all that. And then in Florida, uh, 
started trying to change some of the laws. So SB 524 got started, and they one? finally passed that. So some really good Whoa. things uh, came, you know, What's from in that. that? So, What's in that bill, just so we know? So especially because we're national, uh, so actually well, international. That's um, when the governor formed the. Yes, he, he formed the the task force, election task force, mm-hmm. with a little bit of enforcement. I guess you saw a little bit in the news about arresting the uh, the felons that voted. Um, also, he passed some really needed legislation on voter roll maintenance, and that's where I was really specific on uh, is getting some of these people off the rolls. But uh, mm-hmm. so I was all excited. And, and Diane and I went down to uh, the supervisor of elections office in January because that's when all this voter roll maintenance was going to take place. And uh, so, who's that supervisor? Out, well, so people so people know yeah. who we're talking about in which county? Uh, Santa Rosa County. Uh huh. And uh, come to find out, well, they can't do anything until a rule is changed. And that, that mm. rule number is uh, 1S-2.041, which basically tells all the SOEs in the state how to interpret that law. So uh, we're still on the, the wheels, still slowly turning. Okay, let me hold you up right here because this is, this is fascinating. This is something that uh, uh, a lot of folks don't know a whole lot about because when you think of voter integrity, you hear things like ballot harvesting uh, and all kinds of different things, but the actual roles themselves, and this is something I'm big into. I've, I have an idea which Diane knows about. I, I don't know if you know. I'll tell you in a second. But this rule, and you said this is for the SOE, so that's the supervisor of elections, uh, so that these Correct. people, they have a rule so, yeah, and a lot of times I'll, I'll define things that I know, and the reason I do that is for our, for our national audience, because a lot of names, a lot of, they have the same office, but they have a different name for it. And so this is why I like to make sure that everybody's on board. Um, and so what fascinates me immediately, what you're saying, is that there has to be a rule to interpret a law. Okay, so the red flags are going off on me all of a sudden. It's like, why would you have to have a rule to interpret the law? Is not the law itself clear enough? And is the interpretation, which means to change, you know, from one language to another, if you're interpreting French into English, you know, you're changing. You're changing the whole thing. It never, translates exactly. never translates exactly. I think it's so, more of it. I ahead. think if it's more of an implementation instead of an interpretation of mm. how they're going to implement the law. Well, so, let's, um, I, let's I, get I the law. And then, on <laughs> okay. All right, this is interesting. Okay. So, so let's get what the – if you have the law in front of you, uh, if you have the relevant part that, that covers voter roll maintenance, and then let's look at the rule. And let's look at the rule and see what they okay. actually uh, say. The law is uh, 98065, basically. Okay. Uh, that's the statute. And basically what it says is uh, if a voter has voted in uh, two election cycles, two general mm-hmm. election cycles, uh, mm-hmm. they send out a card uh, to make sure that that voter still lives at that address and is a resident of the state of Florida. And the old law was if the post office returned it undeliverable, then it would start a process of sending them the final notice. And then, um, then it would take them from active to inactive. So that's great, but they sent out these postcards and I think I was looking back and I may be wrong, but about 13,000 and about 600 came back. Um, so, 
if I was living in an apartment or something and, and I got a card from somebody I don't know if that was, you know, three or four years ago, they mm-hmm. probably threw it in the trash can. Yeah. Well, the law, the old, the old law stated that if you didn't get it back, you do nothing. So well, this seems to me like the, the ballot harvester's invitation. You know, especially if you work in the post office, what you do is you record all the addresses you know, of all these fraudulent ballots. And then when the ballots show up in the mail, <laughs> the absentee ballots is like, hey, there we go. So this is like your, your ballot harvester, criminal Democrat, you know, and rhino uh, information list <laughs> is what it sounds like. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So what, uh, so the new law, basically, it only, it only added a, a, a small line in there, or – uh, if you haven't received it back in 30 days. So now it starts that little conveyor belt going again. Mm-hmm. So if they don't receive it back in 30 days, then they send the final notice. So this, that little piece of legislation, that little bitty one line, mm-hmm. uh, triggers that, that whole action to, to start moving again. So. Okay, here's a question, though. The, the actual invitation to, to reestablish your voter registration, is it secure? Does it require a signature? Uh, is there any notary? Is there any positive ID? Do you, can you return it in person to verify who you are? Or can uh, you know, the, 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 anybody send it in? <laughs> you know, can you, can you you know I haven't ever it? seen the actual postcard itself. Oh. Uh, I know what's required on it, but I haven't seen one. But, okay, so there's no uh, security. Well, let's ask Diane. Diane, is there any security on this postcard? Anybody? Have you seen one? No. I've, I've seen a lot of the postcards that they sent from Hillsborough because we live in Hillsborough, and they just mail them out to you, and you can mail them back. Anybody could fill it out and mail it back. Okay, so, so Ach the Illegal from... Uh, from Iraq and can drop in who crossed the border, you know, six weeks ago, picks up his, his, uh, his voting card from, uh, you know, Joseph Wellington III and, and signs it and sends it back in. <laughs> and, and now, ah, the Iranian yeah. and uh, the Iraqi can vote. Great. Yeah. Great, mm-hmm. this is a great country we have here. This is a wonderful system. I like being in America. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, we're, we're still trying to wait on the change of rule now. So, um, but isn't that the, how they're going to implement it? Isn't that what the excuse that they use for why they haven't passed this yet? Because they don't know how to implement the law. Uh, I don't think it's that. They're just basically waiting on the vision of, of elections uh, to rewrite the law, and that's a very long process in itself. The original law it was in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking about that type of maintenance on the voter rolls, and it hasn't been changed since. But hmm. looking back where they originated in 2011, it took them approximately nine months to really get it put in place because they, they'd met three times, then they have open discussion to the public, and then uh, then it makes it into a rule, the actual rule, and then the SOEs follow it. So. Yeah, see, the problem is they're following the rules. Now, we, you know, Diane made a comment, but I think, you know, Steve, that this is, I think you're on my end of this, that interpreting is changing, that interpreting is ruining, you know, and that the, well, I've always said that the Supreme Court has no constitutional authority to interpret the Constitution. They have to read it and use it, and that their, their decisions and opinions are subordinate to the Constitution. So there's no, so to make them, give them the power to interpret would equalize them with the Constitution, of course, is ludicrous. Anyway, getting back to the rule, if they have to write rules, why isn't the law clear enough by itself? And shouldn't the legislature clear it up if that's the problem? And who's writing this rule? 
this division of elections, the bureaucracy writes a rule that could be anywhere sort of you know relevant to the law, possibly relevant. Maybe it's a you know very close to it, but but who who rules the rule makers? Exactly uh, that yeah. board. I guess it's a uh, a rules committee gets together of a bunch of attorneys to interpret the law and then mm-hmm. apply it. So I <laughs> good question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to me, this is bureaucrat like for – I don't – go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. No, I'll get to Diane. I said I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you. It should be clear enough just to read it and understand it perfectly uh, the yep. way it is written. Yep. Yeah, if you have to interpret it, then, then the legislature goofed. They need to go back and do it. And what they should do, do is go directly to the legislature. But the, the idea that it's like – you know, do you ever watch a debate? you know, presidential debate, and somebody from the audience will ask a question, and then the moderator totally changes the question and asks the question they want to ask. <laughs> you know, that's an interpretation. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and then they totally screwed up. You've lost the meaning. And I, I've almost thrown things at my TV. I get so mad at this. But this whole idea of interpreting the law, in other words, you're not smart enough to understand it. The law itself isn't good enough, and they're not smart enough to write one that should be followed as it is. And that goes for juries, and that goes for all kinds of things. This is a huge point with me. That this interpretation, this bureaucratic changing, this basically bureaucratic government, because if there's no rule on the rule makers, if there's no supervision on the rule makers, if the legislature doesn't then approve the, the rules, should actually go back to the legislature. And they should put it into the law. If it's that different and that essential and that critical to be understood, should not the rule be approved by the legislature before it becomes a rule? Steve? Yeah. It, there's a whole... I was I was amazed when I started exploring the rules. There's rules for everything in there. <laughs> uh, okay, so we we've got work to do. Huh. Well, and the Diane? federal rules trump the state rules. The federal rules mm. trump the state rules too. So Only where they have jurisdiction. Of... Only where they have constitutional jurisdiction. Because constitution says that the state legislatures determine like electors and things like that. So the feds think they trump the state, but as Tenth Amendment says otherwise. Dan, what do you think about rules and stuff and interpretation? Let's get your comment on this. They they made them complicated on purpose, so okay. they're yeah, so people can't follow them, people can't understand them, and then they can convince us that they know what they're doing. Okay. <laughs> confusion and complication, and that just leads to corruption. We if we simplify things, make it where common people can understand it. Mm-hmm. I, that's the entire way that I think that our whole country has been corrupted. So I, let's bring in why, I mean, action it, radio. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Write our laws so, where people can understand them. Take out so much of the just minor, you know, let's run everything down a rabbit hole. So, mm-hmm. But Steve's got some good news about our county. Um, you want to tell them about that? About well, the, before you, no, before you get to that, I want, I want to talk about our solution. Uh, I want to get to that, but I want to talk about our – does Steve know our solution to the voter registration uh, issue? Yeah. The voter okay. registration issue? Um, yeah, well, here's what we did in our Yeah, bill, we're going to have to change the NVRA, unfortunately. What's that? That's, that's the National Voter Registration Act of 1993, otherwise known as the Motor Voter Law. Do we have that in uh, Florida? Oh, it's a national uh, – it applies to all general elections, and it does trump some of the Florida laws. And the only place that Florida, you know, wouldn't uh, – you have to follow it. And I think there's only one state 
in the country that's not a member of this and doesn't follow the NVO. What's this law called again? I want to write this down. National National Voter Registration Act of 1993. And uh, uh-huh. Clinton. They list all kinds of maintenance rules that the states have to follow in a federal election. And uh, some of those mm. having to do with list maintenance is also in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're kind of stuck to following that one. If that is well, the, that one doesn't well, let me think about that for a minute. Let me think about that because if they're if they're putting things in there that are not constitutional, I mean, I don't know how much jurisdiction the federal government has over state or local elections. I would say none. Uh, and I know the state legislatures, you know, Article, Article One talks about how the state legislatures, you know, set up the electoral college and, and determine the rules. You know, so I'd be I'm gonna this this deserves some looking into. But what I wanted to get to before we get to to Diane's idea um, is that cause I want to finish this up is that we have a very simple provision uh, in the bill that we had. And this is a provision that I had in a previous bill, is that all uh, voter registrations expire at midnight, December 31st, every year. So you have to renew. So the, all the voter rolls are automatically completely cleared. So all the people that have moved, all the people that have died, all the people that have multiple registrations, all the people, all the problems are taken care of immediately, December 31st, and you start from scratch. Now, if you're the first time, if, if you know, when this goes in, everybody's going to show up in person with their proof of citizenship uh, and their residential proof. Uh, but after they've established that, as long as nothing changes the following year, then they can, uh, they can do a secure online renewal. But otherwise, you know, and that, then they can check for multiple registrations. They can check for out-of-state people that have different registrations, all, all kinds of things. But if you, if you totally wipe the uh, registration, just like they do for cars, you know, we can do it for people. The vote's more sacred than your, your registration. Um, why not do it that way? Steve? I, I think that's a great idea, but I, I, I'm, unfortunately, I believe you're up against a brick wall with the NVRA. It's, uh, in Section 8, it basically kind of tells you uh, a lot about the registration and, uh, and maintenance. Uh, so I, they, I think it, the, the federal law is going to trump the Florida law on this particular issue. Now, anything that is, the NVRA doesn't mention, then the Florida mm-hmm. Florida can write a law to implement it, and and they give you some leeway on implementing a lot of this. How to implement it? They just tell you this is the way it's going to be. As far as like if a voter hasn't voted in two election cycles, then you know they don't say put them on inactive. They just say you know you can do you can take that voter off the rolls. Yeah, so see, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge that. I'm going to challenge the idea that this this is a federal law, Trump state law, because especially in state and local elections, and especially uh, registrations are a county function. So the federal government has absolutely no jurisdiction. Correct on state, you're, you're absolutely correct on state and local elections, but any general election which has federal candidates yeah. uh, is where they, they they. So far, they've been. I haven't seen any lawsuits that beat the uh, the NVRA. <laughs> yeah, see, I, 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 in fact, I was waiting for Pianki to call, so Pianki's going to join us now. Pianki, would you like to talk about your bill? And and I, you know, I love having Steve on the show. I just I don't think this this bill has the effect that it thinks it has. It's like the Department of Education in Washington. There's no provision for education in the Constitution. That whole con- that whole department is completely legal. Pianki, welcome to the show. We got Steve Terrell and uh, Diane Warner. It's the Election Integrity Hour. Yankee? Well, you know, the bill I wrote, which 
quote, I think it's Article 3 in the U.S. Constitution, where there becomes a separate ballot for federal candidates, president, congressperson, U.S. senator. That ballot is separate from your state and local candidates' ballot. And the reason why is because, you know, you got some state and locals that uh, allow illegals to vote. And Which is the illegal. Ability, <laughs> they can't do that. Yeah, yeah. The ability to vote on that ballot, you have to go through a peculiar vetting system similar to the U.S. passport. The states control those elections. Of course, they can't violate someone's civil rights, but they control those elections. Federal governors don't have any control over how the states run their election. And people need to get out of that mode, I think. If you don't get out of that mode, then why have the conversation? Because the conversations always lead back to, well, the federal government is the boss. Well, we're wasting time having the conversation if that's what people want to subscribe to. Makes sense. Steve? Uh, yeah, I'm with, I like that idea of uh, separating those two, for sure. Uh, well, thing with the Constitution. I, I, All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Steve. I, I tend to jump I'm in just, a lot. I'm just everything I've uh, I've read and and heard from other attorneys that this uh, the federal law. I don't know. I'm, I may be wrong. It, it trumped any kind of state laws or statutes. Yeah. Uh, let's um, let's dismiss that right now. The worst place to go for for legal opinions is lawyers. <laughs> okay, lawyers go to law schools. <laughs> I'm serious. No, I know that sounds absurd and farcical on its face, but it's not because lawyers go to law schools and law schools teach government law. They teach the law according to the government. Lawyers then become judges. Judges then become Supreme Court judges. And they're not justices, by the way. Constitution says they're judges. People think that judges are lifetime appointments. They're not. They're only good behavior. People think that the Supreme Court can, quote, interpret the Constitution. It can't. There is no interpretation clause. If they could, that would put the Supreme Court supreme over the Constitution because they have the ability, the ability to not only interpret but change the meaning of. And they can't do that. They're subordinate. So the idea that the states can't write their own registration laws, I, no, no, don't take this personally. I'm not, I'm not saying against you, but that whole idea is completely absurd to me. Now, let me tell you what the Constitution says. Yeah, uh, section. Hold on, Pianki. Let me just get this. This, this, this is the key right here. It's Article One, Section Four. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But, and this is the part I disagree with, but it's here in the Constitution. The Congress may at at any time by law make or alter such regulations, except as to the places of choosing senators. Okay. So yeah. So it's ambiguous. It's a little crazy. But as far as I'm concerned, times, places are done by the state. Unless the federal government, specific, Congress specifically changes, it says may at any time by law make or alter such regulations. Um, okay, unless they've done that, unless this act specifically says you can't you know, have voter registrations expire December 31st, then, Constitution, then the Congress says no say on this. We can do it. Pianchi. Well, not only that, the states have the ability in states or countries to tell the federal those federal acts go stick go shove it because it's unconstitutional. Yeah. Can't point yeah. the fifty five mile an hour speed limit. Mm-hmm. States say we're not going to do it. Congress say we're going to withhold your federal funds. States say you can't withhold from us what we don't give you. 
yeah, Nessie's gets an idea of what we do on the show here. <laughs> so, so everything's fair game to challenge. Let me, let me bring Diane back on the show because this is Diane's guest. Um, Diane, feel free to, to weigh in on the federal state thing. And I, I disagree with the Constitution on that one point, that uh, unless they specifically say, and then I would fight that. And then I would say, hey, pound sand, 10th Amendment. You can't regulate how we register people at the county level or the state level. It's none of their damn business. Diane? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, between Pianchi and me, I'm, uh, hoping, I'm sorry. You sure? No, Go ahead. I'm hoping that that we could fight it. I mean, but it, why not? I think that we've been taught a whole lot. I, I think that we've been taught a whole lot of things that aren't true. Oh, so, no kidding. Um, <laughs> Welcome yeah. to Action Radio. Yeah, yeah. We have a but lot how, of things. How do you fight it with the corrupt justices? You, you know, just do it. No, you just pass the law and you yeah. start canceling. Well, well, wait a minute. We got precedent. Would they cancel voter registrations every year? I mean, they cancel yeah. driver yeah. registrations every year. They've already got a system in place where they're canceling registrations every year. What's the difference? We got precedent. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Steve. Yeah. Steve, what do you think? Yeah. I, you, I, 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 that's the whole thing. That's that's how you change things. It's challenge. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Exactly. See, what's your background? Yeah. See, are are you a doctor, lawyer, plumber, baker? What? How, what's your what's your Mm, I'm all of those. Doctor, lawyer, plumber. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> good. I uh, I work on the right in the oil field in Louisiana, uh, and really? I retired from a major oil company after 36 years. And he's good at so fighting it, lawsuits too. Really? Tell me more. Um, let's see. I can fix anything. I'm, I'm a big fixer. I can fix anything from a broken heart to the cracked dome. <laughs> okay, I guess that comes in handy on Valentine's Day. Well, let me ask you about it. Now that I got you here, we we had a big debate um, whether abiotic oil exists, whether the Earth actually makes oil by compressing the hydrocarbons, you know, hydrogen and uh, and carbon into a hydrocarbon uh, under temperature and pressure. Whether the Earth makes oil or it actually has to come from an organic source. You got any feelings on that? Uh, there are making, uh, I guess. Uh, fuel, diesel fuel, out of uh, algae, uh, I believe. Uh, that there's some some things, but not in large scale. Is that is that what you're speaking about? No, not exactly. No, the, this, the the two theories of oil is the biotic oil. In other words, it comes from from algae, from you know the algae, organic mud, and all the stuff that compressed millions of years ago. That it had to start with an organic source to create the the hydrocarbons that make for oil. <clears throat> the other thing is that uh, folks have said that the hydrogen and the carbon that are naturally under the earth. Um, with temperature and pressure combined to actually make oil, that the earth makes its own oil. That's the abiotic theory. I, I believe and you're it, right about this, the second thing. It, the, the, the original thing, was, it was di- dead dinosaurs that actually made the oil years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but I believe you're correct on it makes, from the compression and all that, it makes oil because there's gas pockets and oil uh, and, and all over the place. Uh, mm-hmm. Mainly, a lot of it in Mobile, Alabama. Hmm. Do oil fields replenish? Have you seen places where oil has been taken out of a field and then five years later it's full of oil again? No, I have not. Uh, they usually deplete them and move on. Uh, okay. Now, I don't know the time period of millions of years to make that oil in there. Probably, I don't know. Uh, no, they usually deplete it and move down to the next place where they found it. 
Okay. All right. Because Gregory Wrightstone says that that theory yeah. is not true, and we presented it as true, and then I, I had to correct myself because I had to make the qualification. He said, no, that it's not true, that the Earth uh, is, made the, is made the way we thought. But I call them organic fuels. I don't call them fossil fuels because, you know, I saw Jurassic Park. You don't, you don't drill a big dinosaur bone and get oil out of it to run your 747. Yeah. ain't going to work. Okay. We got to get you back for oil. We'll have an oil chat sometime. Let's get back to Diane. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah this is multiple layers there. Oh, yeah, it's, so, it's, everything's fair game the, here. The ones off of uh, Mobile were just swamplands years ago, and now mm-hmm. they're covered with, uh, you know, water and, and multiple layers over the top of it, especially, you know. Uh, it starts way up there in Alabama. It comes all the way down to the Gulf Coast. It's called the Tuscaloosa Trend. Huh. And it's a vein of uh, oil and gas all the way down. Well, it makes sense. That's the organic material that, that creates oil and gas. They just have to go down several layers. You know, and, and sediment. Yeah. Uh, okay. And, uh, yeah, you got uh, water in there also. Huh. Yeah, so. yeah, you got microbes that die in the water. Microbes that create their own fecal matter, and that cells at the bottom. <clears throat> but you know the the thing too is that uh, the planet would practically blow up, especially in your ocean areas, if it wasn't for the weight of the water of the ocean. You know, you got miles and miles of water pressure that's holding uh that pressure you know in the earth that wants to come that wants to create a volcano and just explode and that goes on all the time you know yesterday we had 34 earthquakes around the world nobody talks about wow. that now isn't that balanced though by gravity because you got the gravity force bringing down and then you got the force of the interior of the earth pushing the volcanic matter out I and mean, that's how hawaii was created so don't they balance each other well, those pockets that he's talking about was created because of some great force that starts spewing stuff over in one area. Right. And if it comes out the ground like it did on the Clampers farm, you know, when he was out there shooting for food and up, up from the ground, the ground came Yeah, oil. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's true because, it, you know, in, in olden days, they talk about tar pits. Uh-huh. And matter of fact, you know, the times I've been to the pyramid, they don't have uh, cement mortar between the stones. They have a little layer of tar. So, oh, that's interesting. Yes, but the, the earth like is La Brea. It keeps on producing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We don't relieve the pressure. We don't relieve the pressure through usage. <laughs> yeah, we don't relieve the pressure through usage. It's going to explode. Boom. Yeah. Let's let's take another time. I was going to get back, I, and, and, and I, I sort of want to get back to election stuff. So, yeah. Diane, if you'd like to redirect yeah, our conversation yeah. back towards elections. Feel free. Yeah. Okay. Well, Steve is our resident expert on air, and I'd love for him to explain some of that and also about some of what's happening locally. So, okay. Um, Steve, you want to give us just a little synopsis of what you've learned about Eric? A little background on Eric. Uh, this yeah, isn't just, a dude. Just what it does. Just what it does that we don't like. How about that? Let's get the acronym first, yeah. what it stands for, so people know what we're talking it, about. It's a Electronic Registration Information Center which uh, their goal is supposed to improve our accuracy, our voter rolls. It's about mm. as far as you can get from that. Uh, it was started in 2012 by David Becker. Uh, he is a uh, left-wing uh, conservative hater, and they used money from George Soros through the PEW Charitable Trust to get started. So all of those things should be raising up red flags for you. Yeah, what could uh, go wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. 
uh, and they actually share our information with uh, some third parties, and uh, I don't know illegal. who those third parties are. Mm-hmm. And you're Barcelona. Why yeah. if you don't know? Why do you don't know? Because they signed an agreement with Florida, saying that uh, we're not going to let you see the information, which is against the hmm. uh, laws in Florida. One nineteen zero one, to be specific, is a disclosure law. So um, he's my statue guy. He's <laughs> you're good at they, this, Steve. They they do some things for the supervisor of elections, you know, do a little maintenance for them, uh, and they like that. So that's why they like Eric. But we don't like Eric because there's no uh, transparency. We don't know who they're sharing this with. And one of the informations out of their contract is this this will get you going, Greg. Under mm-hmm. no circumstances shall a member transmit an individual record where the record contains documentation or other information indicating that individual is a non-citizen of the United States. That's in their contract. Well, that's illegal. Yep. That's illegal right there. I mean, citizenship yes. is public information. Is. We've been over that, too. I want, in fact, I, we have a bill to write. Actually, I've written it already uh, that puts citizenship right on your driver's license. You know, it's on your passport. That's a public document. Yep. You can't come in and out of the country without declaring your citizenship publicly in front of everybody, uh, in front of the U.S. federal government inspector who's examining you. Uh, you declare it publicly with your passport. So to say that it can't be in our driver's license is absurd. This idea that you can't check citizenship. Now, we, did it. we had a bill that we wrote, and actually it's one of uh, Matt Gates' first ones that he took to Congress from, from our show, which was the mandatory citizenship question on the census. This was back in 2018, before he started wearing hair gel and did the national shows. But we'll get him back someday. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I said that before, too. It's, it's kind of a standard line. But anyway, but yeah. But uh, when he was on the show every week, we wrote a bill in one hour to mandate that the citizenship question be on the census. And this is exactly the same kind of thing. So the idea that you cannot ask citizenship in a country that's defined by citizenship is irrational. So that has to go. Yeah. And how that can be in a contract, I exactly, have no idea. Go ahead. Well, this is exactly why we put that into our bill. You know, that mm-hmm. all our uh, registration ends on December 31st every year. Mm-hmm. And then the very first time before 2024, you'd have to come in and you have to prove your citizenship. It's like our state doesn't want to, they're not verifying citizenship, and our SOEs are not verifying citizenship. Well, mine was. And that's exactly what Pete Antonucci was so riled up about, so... Well, let's let's jump up in a second. I want want to, because this this is part of the bill, but when I came to Florida, you know, I had to prove my citizenship. Uh, I uh, do, you know, and then residents and stuff like that when I got my driver's license, but uh, to register. And this one of the first things I did was register to vote. I brought in my passport. I'm not going to bring in my naturalization papers. Those are in a secure location. But uh, I brought in my passport. And they they checked it, (laughs) you know. So our Santa Rosa County, Florida, under Tappy Villain, our our, uh, SOE, uh, Supervisor of Elections, checked my citizenship. Now, I'm sure they check everybody's because why wouldn't they check, you know, why would they just check mine? You know, and so that's a good thing. So that actually is being done. So to say that you cannot require citizenship checks, they are doing it, and they should do that. So are we have a conflict with Florida law and the and the uh, the election registration something thing contract that Eric thing? Well, if it, if the paperwork comes in like from the DMV and it, a box is checked that says yes, I am a citizen, 
They're not mm-hmm. verifying that. It's like yeah, the, the SOEs are depending on the state to verify it, and the state's depending on the SOEs to verify it, and no mm-hmm. one's doing it. And that's well, no, why they didn't in issue with it's, it's, uh, But it's not consistent. Did they do it in my case and not other people's cases? You know, if you do, do it, it in person, yeah. they check it. If you're right. doing it in person, they're checking it, and they're doing a really okay. good job. I walked into our DMV here at, at, at Santa Rosa, and they were doing their job, and they, they did a really good job of verifying. But if you're filling out the paperwork and sending it in, that's where it fails. So all the illegals are going to um, send it in. <clears throat> that's easy. Yeah. They found a loophole. Yeah. Huh. And, and I, I've exactly. just, recently, just recently learned in a uh, – I'm on a national voter roll group that you know, everybody you send in that voter registration as a checkbox saying I'm a citizen of the United States, mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. understanding that if it's not checked, they have to accept that form anyway. Now, <laughs> whether they go yeah. back and verify that, I don't know. That's, this is insane, and they wonder why we have problems That's in this country. Okay, so yeah. now, so this is this this is this regulation. Is this part of the uh, the National Voter? Registration Act, that 1993 thing, or is this something? Uh, it sure is. I don't know what section that particular, well, but they've okay. all decided on a form, you know, uh-huh. a uniform registration form. Uh, and uh, my, uh, in that last call I had on uh, last week, they were talking about there is really no guidance for the SOEs. It's not a rule that they you must check to see this that this person is a citizen. So we have it. We, we've actually provided guidance. We, we have a bill. Now, Steve, have you, you, I know you, I'm sure you have, but what do you think of the bill that uh, Diane came up with? And I added a couple of little ideas to, what do you think? I, I, I've read most of it. I like it. I mean, I wish we could do that tomorrow. Okay. I, I'm all for it. So defend Florida, the group you talked about, or any of the other groups that are out there, uh, even recall Florida. Let's, let's talk to them. I mean, anybody can sponsor this, you know, Florida carry, you know, there's a group that does a lot of uh, uh, legislative work, uh, although they dropped the ball on open carry, but we'll talk about that another time maybe. Uh, but and there's a lot of groups in Florida that could get behind this bill right now. As far as I know, it's in Rudman's office. That's Joel Rudman, our representative here uh, in Santa Rosa County. Um, what's the current status with, with that we know with him? I have not oh. heard back. I've oh. contacted okay. him several times, but, okay. yeah, we haven't heard anything. So I did need, get we, a little bit, of, a tidbit of help from uh, somebody who is in contact with a lot of very influential people in South Florida, and they they said, "Who is Diane Warner?" And uh, she wrote a message. She goes, "Well, oh, she's our elect- our election integrity person here." And they said, "Well, her name is on Rudman's bill, but um, I haven't gotten on and looked to see if he's listed any more bills." And Rudman hasn't contacted me, but I would be overjoyed if he picked up our bill. He's still got three do. more bills that he can write. Yeah. 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 So who's this group in South Florida? Can we can we announce this over the air, or, or is this an off-air conversation? No, they were on Signal with someone. It was just on a Signal, a group on Signal of just okay. election integrity people. It wasn't so we'll leave them out for now, but we want them on the show. I obviously. don't have a name. They they really don't. They really don't have a name. It's just a bunch of people so that have kind of collected together for election integrity. See, this is the beauty of the Internet. Our, our stuff just goes out, and I don't know where it ends up. You know, you have no clue. Steve, what can you tell yeah. us about this? <laughs> it's fun. Oh, I love Hey, listen, whenever I do a Google search and I look for where the show ends up, there's like 15 new podcasts show up with our show on it. So I have no idea how many people are listening to us, but I know it's getting out there. Uh, the places I do know, like Canada, Australia, and England, are picking up big time. 
uh, for what we're doing. Wow. So we're going to, oh yeah, we're going to have a big international uh, following. I've already written a bill, Australian Bill of Individual Rights. Uh, I'll send you that to you. So we're already international. So the things we say here and the things we do here are going to have worldwide impact. So don't get overwhelmed, Steve. It's, this is normal <laughs> for us here. But <laughs> from what you know of the bill, of, uh, of our election integrity bill, do you know where it is, what's going on, anybody you can talk to, any way you can help it, any groups, any representatives? Like I say, don't say things you can't say. But for what you can say, do you know what's happening with it? You're, you're asking me, Gary? Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. I, I I don't know. I, I think it's just sitting. I don't know how much is happening in the in, with the, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Uh, Let Representative uh, Rudman. I don't know what's going on with the bill because they okay. they haven't really given it a number yet, mm. a bill number. So we that's what we need. We need to we need to to sit on him and get it into the legislature. Uh, Michelle Southman is another person that I know uh, that's here in the next district over. Um, that replaced Mike Hill. Okay. So, so that, that's something I'm to talk to also. Uh-huh. I just pulled up Redmond's bills and he still has, he's got, um, he's still got the same ones up. So mine's not on there. I'm hoping Uh-oh. that we can get so what's it. what's he got? I know. Let's, let's see what he does have. He's, uh, well, they're doing recall today. He's got okay. two for recall, but one of them is uh, the HJR. And he said that's just a, a resolution. That's not really a bill. I don't know if it's got no. a bill or not. Well, resolutions are but, opinions, um, but they don't they don't mean anything. Yeah, not really a law or a no. statute. But then no. he's got the statute HB two hundred nine, and they're doing that today. And I know some really good friends of mine are on their way over there to Tallahassee today, and I wish them luck getting recall put in. But the legislature's uh, not in session until March. What are they doing with it? Uh, they're proposing it going up, taking questions. They get to go in front of the, I don't know, maybe it's a committee. I don't know. I know they're so going up the there to get before they were. So this is just part of the submission process, of the, and these are the bills that will be considered during the active session? Is that what they're doing? I'm still not familiar with that, but Florida does. I just, okay. right. Yeah, me either. They're, I just know they're on their way, and they were trying to get a bunch of people to go, but I'm like, sorry, I'm on my air. That's. Well, I'll tell you what, check in with them after. Let's check in tomorrow. Maybe we'll do a little update uh, since I have more time tomorrow, too. (laughs) We're we're, we're the shortage of reporters right now. So, uh, all right. So, so did we handle the Eric thing? The Eric thing's part of our. Go ahead, Diane. I'm sorry. I'll I'll be in Pensacola all morning, but I can probably text you and let you uh, put it. Take care of it when you can. To find out what's happening. Yeah, Yeah. take care of it when you can. It's not, it's Um, not, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not, the world's not going to change today. Uh, if we don't handle yes. this. Redmond but, uh, has, mm-hmm. Well, Redmond has two other bills. Uh, one of them is about giving away personal information for active duty service people and their families. And the other one is uh, military combat medics going to nursing like, so Which I think both of those are really good bills. But um, I, I would have picked probably some that are more urgent. <laughs> But, um, well, see now, this is where politics comes into bill. it. You know, I mean, the the recall, the idea of a of a recall procedure is a nice idea, but it's nowhere near as important as as, as uh, election and voter integrity, registration integrity, yeah. and election integrity. Just to be quite honest and quite blunt, you know, we have a recall procedure. It's called an election. So what they're trying to do is yeah. add an additional recall procedure on top of what we already have. And to me, it's so hard yeah. to do, and it's easier to rig. You look at the Gavin Newsom recall; didn't go anywhere. Most recalls don't succeed because they take too long. People don't get involved. Not enough people are interested, and they come up for election anyway. So I'm not a big fan of recalls well, if we can't, because 
Yeah, go ahead. Well, if we can't get rid of our machines, maybe it's the only way. Yeah, the machines is probably one of the most important parts of uh, Diane's bill. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Getting rid of the machines. Well, and here's the thing too this this idea that uh, well this other bill of rights I don't we're going to talk about machines we got uh, I want to get into that but the idea that they're not going to get rid of, they're not going to uh, have personal information on on military uh, folks you know from the voter registration that's not good enough they they shouldn't be releasing personal information on anybody why are we getting special privileges yeah. for people you know and uh, they have officials elected officials they have uh, judges their information is not released they're no better than us. These people are not. This is not a superiority system. This is not a. This is not a government supremacy. Okay, uh, so the idea yeah. that people have served in government or that people that are currently in government have special privileges to have their personal information restricted when when all the rest of ours are wide open. No, that is wrong. I got to talk to Robin about that. Anyway, tell me about machines before yeah. I get too riled up here. <laughs> I'll talk well, to let's, myself let's, about that. Bill. Let's finish mm-hmm. up a couple local things first. Sure. Um, we we do have a date. We're going to be counting the paper ballots. Um, for 2020, okay. we, uh, Kathy Villain has been saving them for us for mm-hmm. all these months. She could have uh, shredded them after 22 months, but uh, mm-hmm. we we do have them. We're going to be counting them next Tuesday all day long. Is this open to the, the public? Uh, is this public? Yeah, anybody can come. Anybody can come. Okay. And and Greg helped me so much, and Steve's doing the uh, getting out all the press releases yesterday because we're inviting all the press. We want it open, mm-hmm. wide open. Anybody can come watch what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Kathy's been very gracious on uh, our Secretary of Elections. She's been very gracious on helping us get all this set up. Steve and I are going to go over there today to go walk through the process, make sure we got everything mm. handled. And uh, so we will hopefully find out uh, some, some news next Tuesday to see if our machines uh, match what our paper ballot count said. Oh, won't that be fascinating? Match that. Yeah. yeah. Steve? And then, um, oh, go ahead. Keep going. Diane? He's got some uh, some information too that he got recently about uh, they're starting to really clean up our voter rolls in our county. So uh, I think a lot of shoving from us has helped. <laughs> Steve, you want to? Well, it should that? still expire though. You know, this is why I want this bill to go through. But uh, let's let's talk about where we are then, um, Steve. Are you talking about cleaning up the voter rolls? Uh, well, uh, what uh, about what you found out? Yeah, what, about what you found out about the 12,000 people that have been removed now. Oh, yeah, they are removing people from the record. This, uh, you know, since 2020, I think it's 12,700 people have been removed as of January of 2023. So 12,700 approximately have been removed from the voter yeah. roll. So they are taking them off. People are moving. People are dying. People are going to prison, uh, so they are uh, losing <laughs> It's funny, yeah, the voter rolls are going down. People are dying. People are going to prison, yeah. Well, well how, many voter, how many registered voters do we have in the county? Let's, let's get so that way we can figure what 12,000 is. How so 12,000 are off the roll. Go ahead. 144,000, I believe, is what it is. Okay. So I'm going to divide 144 by 12 and get a percentage here. It's very interesting to me, though, that we uh, we gave them records uh, a year ago that we had 12,000 people that had not voted between 10 and 42 years, and that was uh-huh. our yeah. our numbers from Defend Florida. And so it's kind of, uh, I don't know, interesting, let's just say, mm-hmm. to me that they have, in January this January, they come up with a little over 12,000 people that they've removed. What we need to do There's is more do voters a, a search. There than their eligible voters, I believe, so. 
it's it's like that, that again? everywhere in the country. <laughs> they don't uh, spend More. a lot of time playing voter rolls, or nor interested yeah. in it either. In a lot of places around the country, I, hmm. I would say Until, Kathy's following the, yeah. the bad laws that were written. She's following the bad laws, and yeah. that bad Could law yeah. has caused it to build up. Is what happened. So yeah, it's eight percent. It's eight percent of the voters are, are that they've, they've taken off already. That's almost ten percent of the voters. That's huge. That's enough to yeah. sway an election. Most elections are two to three points, you know. And so if you've got eight percent of your votes have been removed or voters for for bad registrations, and how many could be removed? So that's enough to sway an election right there, just based on on the uh, the non the the non legal uh, voters. Well, considering you know, I don't know why they were. It doesn't tell you in that report why they were removed. It just shows you amount. It it actually mm-hmm. shows you how many postcards were sent out, uh, how many were returned, uh, address changes, uh, and, and all those things. And then it shows you know. So I added them all up from 2020 mm-hmm. to 2023, and it, you know, it's a variety of reasons why they took them off. But I don't think it's the ones from 10 to yeah. 40 years. <laughs> They're still on there. Is that we, 10, 000, yeah. 12, yeah, we need to do that comparison. Maybe we can get our They were still there in the primary. Uh, I'll tell you what to compare is, is those that are getting those absentee cards to see if they're still on and how many are still getting absentee ballots mailed out. That would be an interesting thing to find out. That's you know, kind of that, uh, this year. The, the, the law has changed now, and you used to build a request yeah. form, and they would send it to you two years in a row. And the new law, uh, SB, SB 524, I was talking about earlier, it now you have to uh, apply for it every year. So if yeah. you want uh, to mail in ballot, then you have to request it. Okay. That's and nobody's one. grandfathered in. It cleans the whole. So uh, wait a minute. Had requested if they it, can do, all done. Now they have to if, request. Okay. Now, did that jive with this, this act that you told me about, the, the National Voter Registration Act of 1993? I, I don't think uh, the NR, uh, NVRA addresses anything of that, you know. I, okay. I don't think so. I, that so. law is, even, even makes a lawyer turn off the lights and try to <laughs> figure this law out because it's, it's con- convoluted law, the way it was written. They do that all It's hard purpose. to understand. It's so frustrating. And, uh, so there should know, be nothing it, stopping it, it, us from from uh, putting in a bill that says that the voter registration, if they can do the same thing, that, you know, if they can cancel registrations that way and not send out absentee ballots, they can change how absentee ballots are sent out, which I know are part of uh, the federal law somewhere, then there's no reason we can't end voter registrations uh, December 31st. And then voting machines and paper ballots and everything, you know, because counties have done that across the country. There's a bunch of counties. Diane, you know this, right? This is a couple of counties in Arizona. There's some other places around the south that have uh, individual counties that have gotten rid of all their voting machines. I just saw an article on this. Yes. We have. Well, how did they yeah, do it? Well, Steve and I were just it? discussing this. They've, they have voted to remove the machines, but have they actually uh, removed them? Because oh. I think it goes into it. Yeah. Yes, so, I, and that's I, what I uh, talked to uh, Professor David Clemens. He's uh, pretty much an expert yeah. when it comes to the machines. And uh, yesterday, and yes, there's been a lot of people vote uh, to get rid of the machines, but there's a lot of fighting too, back and forth about you know. But they haven't actually 
voted yet without the machines and did a manual vote. But uh, there's several places, Alaska, uh, New Mexico. But it Arkansas. hasn't been an election yet. Yeah. But, but if you're, yeah, wait, they, if, you're still, <laughs> if you're voting to get rid of machines and you're using machines for that vote, I, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I never even thought about it that way. Yeah. It's going to be a paper ballot. Clement is coming. Professor yes. Clement is coming in to talk to all of us. He's coming in on Sunday. Steve, you want to tell us about that? Steve's yes, got him he's, here. Uh, he's doing five stops in Florida, and he's, it's called the Greater Magistrates. Let me back up and tell you a little. Can I have a minute to tell you a little bit about it? Tell us how you want. We, we can run a little time. I don't mind. Go for it. Okay. Uh, he started out as a uh, violent crimes prosecutor supervising the Lincoln County, uh, New Mexico District Attorney's Office, and he's tried over 130 cases. And then he was a, a law professor at New Mexico State University. He was nominated twice and received the prestigious Chris Moore Award for Teaching Excellence in 2021. He's been on Tucker Carlson, Steve Bannon, and many others. And he led the fight in New Mexico trying to get rid of the machines. And he has been traveling ever since. And the reason why he doesn't work there is he refused to wear a mask or take the cab, and they fired him. So he has been traveling the country tirelessly, most of the time for free, telling you about the machines, educating people. So he is coming to Gulf Breeze. He is going to be here Sunday the 19th at Tiger Point Community Center, and that's at 1370 Tiger Park Lane. It's behind the uh, public off of 98. Uh, he'll be there at 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. So uh, he is also stopping in uh, on February 18th, Sarasota. He'll be in Orlando on the 20th, uh, Delray Beach on the 21st, and Boca Raton on the 22nd. And then he goes to Georgia, uh, Alabama, and Mississippi, and Louisiana after that. So well, he's, he's on making his stuff. <laughs> yeah. Does he have our bill? Does he have our election integrity bill? I we don't think him. so, but uh, you, you could uh, – I don't think he knows about the bill. Uh, I haven't told him about it, but you can follow him at – it's at Professor uh, David Clement on Truth or on Telegram, the professor's record. So you got to be careful about Telegram. There's a bunch of uh, people with the same <laughs> name, but he's got about 92 <laughs> – Thousand followers. That's. I gotta tell him. I gotta tell him about my Telegram issue with him. I follow him on Telegram. I read everything that he puts out, and I wrote in the comments of one of the, and it was actually for him coming to visit here, and uh, and he started writing me back. I thought it was him, and uh, mm-hmm. and then I talked to Steve, and Steve was like, "Oh no, he doesn't." Steve talks to him all the time. She was like, oh, no, he never comments to anybody on Telegram. And so I started, like, messing with this this person, this corrupt person who's trying to pretend that he's, he's David Clement. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I hear David never comments on these issues. And I said, how about I report you to Telegram? And the chat disappeared instantly. Hmm. So I know. Yeah. It was like, so yeah. I'm writing back cool. in the comments. I'm like, David Clement. Clement never comments on any of these chats, just so y'all know. But I do have his email. He gave it to us in our Zoom. 
Well, let's get, when was this Florida Sunday? It's coming up. This, this this thing is this. I can't be there, but it's coming up this yes. Sunday. Okay, so mm-hmm. he needs to get yes. the bill, and let's get a comment from him on it. If he hasn't read it, then let's let's find that out too. But he should, you know, endorse it ideally, uh, and then you take that to to uh, Rudman and say, hey, this is endorsed by David Clements. Let's let's go, Mr. Representative, sir. Yeah. I mean, that's that's lobbying. That's lobbying one on one. So this is this is that's how we this is how we do things around here. Yeah. So make sure he knows about it. Make sure he's st- and he should be taking it on tour. He should be taking it to all those places he goes, especially in Florida. But don't forget, this is model legislation for the country. So the bill that we have here, Diane's bill, you know, which I'm a little bit on too, uh, but this bill is good enough for anywhere in the country. All you have to do is change the uh, the legal citations, the chapter and uh, section. Most of the stuff we write is national, even though we do it at the, at the state and local level. So let's do that. Steve, what do you think? That's a great idea. I'll think yeah, I- I, I can talk to him. I said uh, the, the only other thing I wanted to add. He also has, he also has a website, and it's mm-hmm. uh, theprofessorsrecord.com, dot com, and and there's a lot of information in there and uh, about all the laws going on with the election integrity and, and the election mm-hmm. and uh, also a lot of his there's speaking engagement. A lot at, of their uh, fighting. The, with, uh, they got a pretty corrupt government in New Mexico. A lot of that mm-hmm. on their That's there. for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's add our bill into the mix. You know, I've actually sent our bill to uh, Mike Lindell's folks. You know, I, I don't, not him directly, but, you know, I was on uh, Emerald Robertson's show not too long ago, well, a couple of months ago, talking about our vaccine product liability bill. So I'm working to get uh, Mike on the show. I have been for, I don't know, a year or two. <laughs> you know, so the, the things are out there. The, the, you know, we've had presidential advisors on the show. We had uh, uh, Christina Bob, Trump's attorney, has been on. Peter Navarro has been on. So we're working our way, you know, with this legislation into into the, the upper echelons of the political world. So there's no reason that David Clements can't endorse our bill. You know, Judy Mikovits is taking our uh, vaccine bill everywhere. Peter McCullough has been on the show. He likes it. You know, and so there's there's a lot of things we can do with some of these major public figures um, to, to educate them on the possibilities and potential of citizen legislation. It's real when they make it real. It's real when they talk about it. You know, it will be successful when they ask a million people to endorse, to, to copy the link and send it in. But there's no reason that Joe, Joe should have this bill submitted by now. I don't know what's going on with him. But uh, we, need to, uh, we need to kick all these folks in high gear. If you don't have a solution, we all know the information. See, this is the problem. We all know the information. Everybody knows what the problems are. But who's willing to do the solutions? That's the problem. That's the, the place we need to go and focus our efforts. If you're just talking about the information, I don't have guests on just to talk about the information. I don't, unless it's you know, a really good or their major public figure. Most of the folks that come on the show come on specifically to work with solutions, which brings us back to Steve. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's, let's see if it, and Steve, of course you got to come back. I mean, you know, you have to, we're only, we're only just scratching the surface here. Anytime. Well, let's get a comment Any, report I, after Sunday and uh, maybe you can do that, Diane. And uh, see if you only start back for a few minutes too. you don't have to spend the whole hour. But uh, Diane, Steve, why don't you guys make sure that everything you, you get covered, you want to get covered, and then we'll tie it up for today and come back tomorrow. Diane? Uh, Steve, is there anything else that you wanted to add that you wanted to uh, make I sure got on the air again? Uh, I want to definitely get some people coming out of Gulf Breeze. And the only way that things are going to change is people get involved. They can't uh, sit on the couch and complain about what's going on until you get off the couch and go do something. What yep. do you want them to do? Specifically, what do you want them to do? Get involved. Join a group. Uh, there's plenty of them here, you know. Uh, join the REC. No. Get involved. Uh, help elect local candidates, you know. Mm-hmm. Help write legislation like yourself. Mm-hmm. 
It's all kinds of things they can do besides just sitting at home complaining about this is a terrible place because of who's in charge now. So, yeah, I just and think you know another was, thing. Go ahead, Pianki, and then I'll, I'll talk about it. Yeah, go ahead, Pianki. People need to get their children. You got to get those young people involved. Your kids, start them off as early as possible. If you start off yeah, at a tree and when you plant it, it won't grow up leaning over about to fall on your house when they get older. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I, I look around the room and all these groups, and they're old people like myself. <laughs> So. Hey, one of our reporters is 16, so you know we're actually working with a lot of younger folks, and I hope to get more younger folks right. on the show. So it's, it's it's pretty amazing what happens, and she's connected to a bunch of other folks through uh, Patriot Academy. Um, the one thing I would suggest to people, and this is why I made it as easy as possible for people to get involved, because that's part of the problems, is you know going to meetings, spending money, going to Tallahassee, all this other stuff. With Action Radio, all you have to do is go online copy the link to the bill, send it to your representative, send it to your senator, send it to your state legislator, send it to your favorite media people and talk show hosts, just email the bill and say, I want this bill passed. That's it. So if you could add that to your lexicon, Steve, copy the link, there you go. send right. in the I bill. Agree with you. <laughs> and that's how simple. It doesn't cost any money. You don't have to go to a meeting. It's all there. It's right there, writeyourlaws.com. So I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, hopefully you'll add that to uh, – you know what you tell folks when, it, when it, do something is the most critical thing because people don't know what to do. You know they they hear all the time. Come out to David involved. Clement. Okay. Come out to yeah, David come Clement. David right. Clement uh, uh, on uh, Sunday and they'll learn a lot about what you can do. Okay. Absolutely. Does he take questions? Does he take questions during these things? Oh, uh, about half of this is going to be questions. Uh, okay, so he, can you ask him about uh, ask him about our bill? And I, if he doesn't know, say that you meet him after. I'm serious. Right in front of everybody, just ask them, say, what do you think of our election integrity bill? Oh, I'm not familiar with that. Well, let me talk to you after the show for five minutes. You know, I mean, get it to him. He may have read, this is why you want to get it to him now, so that when he gets that question, you can even tell him in advance, I'm going to ask you about this, you know, because this is so important. We want your opinion. We want to know what, to, what you think. We need your advice. You know, that's how I do it. Uh, yep. People have a lot he, of time he, with him because he's, he's, uh, he's going to be hosting. Okay. So you will have it. We should have a, a really good conversation. And yeah, show him the bill. Awesome if he could Try and meet him ahead bill. of time. Can you meet him before the uh, the event? Like maybe four? You know, take him to lunch uh, or something. You know, he, I'm sure he'll be there about 5.30 before the event. And oh, okay. he's, he's allotted a lot of time. I think his presentation mm-hmm. is about an hour and a half long. So he's, okay. uh, so you can say it's 7.30. So he's leaving an hour of discussion. Perfect. Questions and all that. So he has yeah. a whole hour. Uh, for everybody. If you can get in the bill yeah, ahead of time. You, I'll repeat it one yeah. more time where it's at Sunday, February 19th, Tiger Point Community Center in Gulf Breeze, Florida. So it's real easy to find. Oh, the show's podcast, so people can always repeat the information until they get it. <laughs> Just to let you know. <laughs> I'm hoping to have it recorded. Uh, oh, it is recorded. Uh, I can get my videographer in there. Oh, that, oh his presentation. Oh, yeah, talking like, about the Clemens event. Yeah. Oh, this, okay, that's right. I'm sorry. I'm My mistake. But, uh, again, if you can tell him ahead of time, show him the bill ahead of time, he can, and you can ask him about it during the thing, uh, the presentation, especially if that gets recorded, now we're in business. Now now we're accomplishing something. Okay, so once again, last call. Diane, Steve, uh, well, contact I, information, I, anything yeah, else you want to, to talk about? Go ahead. I wanted to plug one more thing. Um, uh, Deb DeGleon and Sally Saxon and James Thorpe wrote a book, and I know you've had them on the show multiple times, that COVID-19 mm-hmm. vaccines and beyond. So if anybody has anybody they need to red pill about uh, taking a vaccine, this book is excellent. So we've got it. But 
they're having an event this Saturday, February 18th, from 9.30 to 5.30. And it's going to be out at Vision Church uh, at Christian International, and that's in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. And um, I think it's it's all free to be able to come in, and, you know, they're asking for donations. But they're going to be having a lot of good speakers. It's going to last from 9.30 to 5.30. So that's out at Santa Rosa Beach this Saturday. And uh, with uh, our own Deb Viglione and our own Dr. James Thorpe and Sally Saxon, who's the attorney that lives, or that she's the one that wrote the book and pulled Deb Viglione and James Thorpe in. And that book is phenomenal. So, yeah, I got it right here. COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen vaccines yep. and beyond. Vaccines what the medical industrial complex is in uh, hold on. COVID nineteen vaccines and beyond. Yep. What the medical industrial complex is not telling us. And you can get that on Amazon. There's my plug. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, now, now, Greg, you know why I've become such good friends with Steve Carroll. Uh-huh. Oh no, Steve's great. <laughs> he and I both kind of got the fire for election mm-hmm. integrity, and we've been yeah. running with mm-hmm. it for a year and a half, and. His wife is awesome. She's uh, she's become a really good friend of ours and, and an awesome supporter, as well as my husband. So uh, they've supported all of our. Oh, good. All of that our does help a lot. And, and they're yeah. joining in, and so I really wanted to plug Connie too. She's phenomenal. Uh-huh. So, um, well, Steve, you, Steve, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, oh, well, Steve, it. if you want. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. Hey, if you want, if you just leave a comment at the bottom of our election integrity bill saying, I endorse this bill, I'll, put your, I'll add your name to it if you want to do that. Yeah, okay. he has sure. just been voted in as the election integrity chair for REC, so he's got a nice, important title behind his name. Now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, then put that, put that in your comments so I can put it in the bill. So, so let's define yeah. REC uh, for people so people know what that is. What's REC? It's uh, Republican the Republican Committee Executive Canada. Committee. Oh, it's like stereo. <laughs> Listening to you two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Contact information. We've been good you have a website? research partners. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So we've been great research partners for the last year and a half, and we have a really excellent election integrity team here. And it's so neat to finally find people that you really trust. And I think that's one bonus through all of this nonsense from our country is that mm-hmm. I've really found an awesome group of people. And you included, Greg. So Aww, people that you. that that you trust, you know, and it's hard to find that. And people that you know that are committed and still have the fire to help fix our country. Yeah, so, well, they've uh, united the rebels. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate they've, coming they've, in. Yeah, exactly. They've united the resistance. They made us yeah. mad. <laughs> yeah, they sure did. Idiots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we're waking people up in droves. And we can go on and on because now I'm looking at all these trains, that are, these trucks that are running into these trains. And oh, that's tomorrow's show. Go on for an hour Thanks on for the that. article. I yeah, know. I did, a little, I did a little train speech in the first hour. Uh, second hour, I had uh, Florida law enforcement on. Uh, third hour, I had you guys. It's been a busy day. It's been great. All right, get out of here. Go have fun. Well, somebody, Thanks, Steve. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Thank you. No, you're fine. Okay. What were you going to say, Diane? Last chance. Last call. Uh, I was well. One of it, I just saw something that he's like, oh, my, my tinfoil hat is, you know, sparking right now. He's like, they're going to try to, they're, they're, they're hitting these trains at the, these chains are carrying combustible, cor, I don't know, corrosive materials. And they're aiming mm-hmm. these cars right at the, the specific cars that have the, you know, the toxic chemicals in them. He's like, mm. is this going to be the cover up for the COVID shot? So. 
it, it no, it's, it's a cover so up was, for Brandon blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline. That's what the real cover is. That's what the balloons are for. Very the balloon, true. the balloon was discovered the same day that uh, Seymour Hersh released his article that uh, Brandon blew up the Nord Stream pipeline as an act of war against Russia. So yeah, that's what that's about. Yeah, but that's another show. That's tomorrow's show. And there, I had something that I put on uh, on Facebook too, and it was like, oh, the, you know, aliens. <laughs> Aliens are now in the in the spotlight. Yeah. Well, yeah, because bl- it's more easy to blame aliens than to blame uh, the, the what's really going on. Yeah. All right, you two, get out of here. I'm going to play commercials and I'm done. <laughs> Greg Pengos <laughs> for Action Radio. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> You're welcome. Blogtalkradio.com slash Citizen Action is the show site. Our legislation is at writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And we have our, my new Substack articles are gregpenglis.substack.com. And if you want to contribute, givesendgo.com slash radio. Back tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Central Time. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. 
The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.